Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 212, and this week we welcome in returning GFOP Alyssa Dibble of Restaurant Modus uh, to talk a little bit about food service, a little bit about mental health. Nice broad-ranging conversation with our GFOP uh, Alyssa. Also this week, uh, we're going to talk about the Boilermaker, Blues Traveler, uh, our Maiden Utica event from this weekend. We're going to talk about Bianca Devins, obviously. Uh, we'll talk about some history lessons, some stuff about uh, Area 51. We're all over the map this week. Uh, I'm going to cut it short because we have a long show. Thank you once again for joining us on episode 212 of the Uticast. As always, we are so, so happy to have you here. Oh, I just I kind of noticed it when I was okay. putting the show together, uh, and in spirit of that, I was curious uh, for our listeners out here, or our wonderful listeners, if you'd be interested in doing a duet rendition of Neverending Story with me to start the show before we got into. No, no, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> no, not interested. No, I don't think I've ever seen that movie. It's got, <laughs> really? that, it's got that big dumb like furry dragon. Never saw right? that movie. Weirdly, I think maybe like part of it once when I was a kid, but no, that's got no no catch. When did that come out? 80s. I was too young. You have older siblings. I do have older siblings. I had no older siblings. There was nobody watching that at my house. So, Never Ending Story is interesting because it's in that sort of sphere of 80s, like, fantasy kids movies that are very scary if you catch them at the wrong age. Like, Return to Oz and this and, like, The Dark Crystal and, like, Labyrinth. Like, all those movies at a certain age are a little bit unsettling. Especially if you were soft as a child. Very soft. Soft, soft as a yeah. child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were never... There was like never, like, a kid's thing you were scared of growing up? Like, I was scared of a couple different... I was scared of Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty as a kid, like, very early on. Um, I mean, Freddy Krueger, but we've talked about that before. Yeah, nothing I can think of, really. Huh. Nothing. I mean, if I if I had some time to give it thought, like something I'll probably think of later and be like, oh yeah, that I guess. But shout us out on Twitter. The dumbest thing you were afraid of as a kid. How about the Bumble from the uh, the Rough Red Nose Reindeer Claymation special? The big. Oh no, I was into that. <laughs> yeah. I'm scared of claymation. <laughs> claymation could be scary sometimes. King Kong was claymation. He was kind of scary. And we game. have we actually have a friend who's scared of claymation. Who? Uh, good friend of the pre podcast life, uh, Nick Vasali. He doesn't like the unnatural claymation Un- creeps him out. Yeah, like Gumby is his is his personal hell. Yeah, he don't care for Gumby. Oh, no, uh, he's scared of Gumby. He's also though very soft. Well, and he's also he's somebody to uh, to exaggerate the way he feels about it for comedic effect too. To be fair, we know a lot of people like that. I think. Hey, <laughs> welcome back uh, to the show, folks. It's the Uticast episode. Uh, two hundred and twelve. I did look up at the number. Two one two. Two one two. Here. So in shout out to all my two one two people. <laughs> uh, joining us this week, uh, GFOP Alyssa Dibble is back. Uh, now from her new spo- uh, spot over at Modus, our good pals at Modus. Alyssa Dibble's everywhere. She kind of works everywhere all the time. Yeah, she's I see about- her everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, she's a good hang. Love talking to Alyssa. It's nice to have her back on the show. We had a nice wide ranging interview. Talked about lots of stuff. Um. Let's see. How did I want to... You know what they'll notice? I'll tell you what they wanted to talk about. Well, Heather's not here. The show. There's no Heather. There's no Heather here. You'll notice right. you haven't heard from Heather Oh, yeah. Yet. Great point. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to talk about our third host is just my laptop, which is on the 
computer on the Not table. Not to be confused with the laptop we record the show on. Yeah, dual screen tech here in right, the studio. Right. No, uh, so if you want to if you want to complain about why Heather's not in the show, I say send a strongly worded message to our good buddy Mark Simon at the zoo because they have some sort of zoo benefit or some sort of zoo event that she couldn't get out of. Mm. So there you go. It's uh, the zoo's fault. That I wonder if it has anything to do with her being out till all hours of the night at Nail Creek on Friday night. Oh, mm-hmm. you think you think she's still recovering? You from never know. You never know. It's that mom life. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, so she was very upset that she couldn't make it today. She was sending me all sorts of messages. She's always very apologetic when she can't make it. She likes to be here. She enjoys the the, the hour and a half, two hours of uh, of like time away from responsibilities of life. I think. I I could imagine. I can imagine that's enjoyable for her. Um, yeah. So Heather, if you're listening, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're happy. We'll see you whenever you decide that you can show uh, up. Did you uh, Did you have a nice Boilermaker experience? It was Boilermaker weekend. Um, it was Boilermaker weekend. Yeah, it was a uh, it was Boilermaker weekend. All right. Did you? Uh, well, you were you were performing. You were I playing, was performing. Yeah, you were performing. Yeah, How yeah. was that experience? That crowd was um, probably wild. What? No, see, wildish. Because here's the thing about the crowd. So I played. Um, I performed at the Celtic Harp. Yeah, and we were playing a lot of songs for the people, songs everybody knows. People were singing and dancing, but what's interesting about that, unlike playing at a place like that, like I played at Sickenberger Lane last sure. week, right? Sure. So with that, you start at eight thirty, we end at eleven, and the DJ comes on, and so as the night's going on, it's packing in. People are getting looser, more people are dancing, more people are singing. By the end, you've got a real rave up going on. Mm-hmm. Um, what's different with the Boilermaker is almost everybody who's there. At least half of them just ran this race. Yes. And everybody there has been drinking free beer at the brewery for three plus hours. So that show winds down. Yes. Like the first five or ten songs, we were up there like the goddamn Rolling Stones. Like people are just packed in going nuts, dancing, singing, having a great time. By the end of it, like we're playing to a lot of people like in chairs, drinking waters. (laughs) Yeah. It's very cleared out. Everybody's like just had it and tired from being out there. And it's crazy because you're on stage outside of Celtic, so you're also, while you're playing, you're uh, you're watching the volunteer crews clean up the streets and take down all the barricades and everything mm-hmm. like that. So like, by the time we were done, it just looked like a regular Sunday on Barrick Street. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. It was wild, but I've never had that experience before mm-hmm. either because like, you know, I've been down there for working at the brewery, but performing there was a different thing. It's interesting, but what's uh, this is sort of an off-topic question. We've played at lots of venues together and separately in our in our lives sure. as musicians. I guess, is there a venue in Utica that was your favorite one going all the way back? Is it still like playing at like Captain Trips from back in the day? Was that like, that was a good stage? I'm trying I to think would of say like, some of some of my craziest memories uh, from company. playing in the Utica area. Electric Company, I love the Electric Company as a bar. I never, that last night on their last weekend was cool, but like we didn't play there a ton and I never really yeah. bonded with the live stage. It wasn't a great stage. Yeah, um, that's true. I think back to Albies in West Utica. Albies, Albies. Albies. I don't even remember what you say it. Albies. Oh, man, Albies, man. That We're... stage back there with the big PA and the light show, like right as was... our band was kind of like cresting and getting a lot of people coming out to shows and like everybody shame. was way into it and the scene was coalescing and, you know. Good times. Girls were listening <laughs> to the songs. Yeah, yeah. Writing original songs. Back. That was a good spot. The stage at Celtic is nice, though. Yeah. It's it's you're raised up. It's a good size. It's got a cover, so we were in the shade the whole time, which is nice. Do you notice a difference with like playing uh, mostly like cover songs as opposed to like when we were playing mostly original songs with crowd reaction? Do people get hyped for cover songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> mean, of course that that's always been the whole thing. Yeah, they pop in a whole different way. Like, yeah, the whole yeah. crowd goes nothing. You play some song that like. None of us in the band really care for it. Like, the example that I use, because we must have got 15 requests for yeah. it, including GFOP 
Andrew Dominio, who came up to the oh. stage to request this song no less than four times. Um, they wanted to hear Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Yeah. Everybody knows that song. Got my first real six. Yeah. Right. Um, and we played that and people went nuts. And we're all up there in the band because, like, you know, for, like, music, that's a really simple song. That's a really, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's funny because a lot of times when you play covers, the songs that are less enjoyable mm-hmm. for you are the songs that go over huge. Then the stuff that you really like that's like, yeah, you know, screw it. We're going to play this one because we like this one. We've made, I think people like it and people are like, ah, I don't know what this is. I don't know if it was just because it was early <coughs> or because I was tired, but uh, there was a band playing somewhere that I heard and they were doing like, just like, this, I feel like cover songs I feel that are like on the on the standards list of like when you go see a covers band. Right? So it's interesting now that I'm now that I'm doing the cover band lifestyle, you know what I mean? Like very often I'm playing out two or three times a week um, and gigging with it. There's certain stuff that like you kind of have to hit, right? Because yeah. like I said, these people would not have left until we played Summer 69. Yeah. Play Smoke on the and, Water. Like, songs like that. So we try to balance it out with a lot of other songs that you do. We're, we're, the band is very conscious of having songs that you're like, oh damn, I haven't seen anybody do try that one or do that one. You know what I mean? And you local, try to balance that out. Any local bands out here covering Hotline Bling by Drake? Maybe that <laughs> summer. Yeah, <laughs> that trying, summer. I'm just trying to... How... I always that summer, it was too. probably my band. If I, <laughs> if, you're, if I had to guess. If you're covering... That, that's another one, too. Like, if you're... If I was starting a cover band, right? Mm-hmm. How many current songs are you learning right like there's a fine i think there's a fine line like how many cover bands went out and learned old town road in the last like depends, across the country depends on the band yeah depends on the band like you know there's there's different bands like um the dudes in Gridley page are all pretty uh well seasoned at this yeah. point we'll say you know they're, they're older sure. dudes they've been doing it for 20 25 yeah, years veterans so it's tough when you're like in your 50s to be like yeah i know when that hotline bling <laughs> yeah it's true you know what i mean but like you have to... the band that i play and like everybody's a little bit younger, younger our yeah. singers you know a younger dude is like just turned 30 but like been young so when we do uh some different pop songs or some more modern songs like that there's a bit of a believability into the fact that like all oh, these people actually like this song and they're not just playing it because this is the popular song or whatever yeah. you know it makes more sense so i think it's tough but I think there would be, I always say it, if I could go back knowing them what I know now, I would have started a cover band 10 years ago and it would be the best cover band in the world and I would do that exclusively and play casinos, colleges, and weddings and just chill. Let's say you and I theoretically were starting a cover band. Yeah. What's one song you have on your, your list that you'd be like, we gotta play this one. This is one for, for me that we gotta play. Um, There would be, there's a few, I always thought that a band would do really well if they played A-Punk by Vampire Weekend. (laughs) A-Punk by Everybody knows that song. It's one, like, you might hear that right now. You might hear me say that, listeners, and be like, I don't know what that is. I'm not sure. I've never heard of that. Go play it. I guarantee you know exactly what that is. Um, A lot of stuff that came out in that mid to late 2000s, like, mainstream indie wave. Yeah. A lot of those songs, like, everybody knows, and, like, the people who were into those songs in their youth are now in their late 20s, early... We do play a ton of killers in this yeah. band. We've got like four yeah. or five killer songs. We don't play every song, every show, but we've got them in the book for sure. I'm a fan, and you know this from years of being my musical friend. Uh, I like to take a cover song. You'd be out there trying to play some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like to take a song that's not... Like what, you guys don't know this Minutemen song? I do like it. No, but like Fools. I, when I was playing in that band in New York, I was playing with the Filthy yeah. Huns with Adam and, and Teague. I remember trying to get them over on like a fast punk rock version of Suspicious Minds by Elvis Presley and oh, they were yeah. not feeling it. But I'm, I'm not, into stuff like that. I like punk rock 
covers of everything. Yeah, yeah, my yeah, yeah, perf- yeah. My perfect world is people caring enough about what we're doing to have a band where we play punk rock covers of, like, go classic songs. Yeah. yeah, go your own way. <laughs> yeah, go your own way. That's one I feel like we would have to do. We've done that one so sure, casually. We do, so the, uh, we do the real version of that in the band of men. Yeah. Yeah. It's... The problem with the punk rock versions of all of them is they're real fast. You got to learn a whole bunch of them. <laughs> it's true. You got to learn. It's like true. 90. They're over in like one minute and fifty seconds. You're like, well, um, shit. Now we need to know sixty songs instead of thirty. Since we're on the music thing, because I do want to get to some serious stuff at the I end. Bet of this do. Do. Um, I bet you do. I bet you do. There's two things I got. Did we talk about Blues Trapper last week, or did I did I not get a chance to talk about? Blues no, because that was Tuesday week? night. That, that was you Tuesday. Went okay. And that you went and were front row for your favorite band, Blues Traveler. <sighs> So you might as well tell the truth. You, we were down there, Maiden Utica, a contingent yeah. of Maiden Utica folks is down there volunteering yeah. with United Way to pour beers at the Blues Traveler concert yeah. last Tuesday. Yep, yep. And look, it was a fine time. I, I enjoyed the actual, like, serving beers. People were pretty friendly for the most Always part. Always fun, yeah. Always fine. Uh, it wasn't too hot out once you're under the tent. It's pretty, mm-hmm. it's pretty comfortable. Which beer truck were you on? One. Beer okay. truck one. One closest to the to the, the Boilermaker finish line. Yep. Um... And it was fine, but here's the thing. Blues Traveler has approximately two songs. One song. One That other one songs. I've heard is by a band called Sister Hazel. <laughs> that is a, you, know, you brought that up, but that's a great the song. The best Blues Traveler song yeah. is that What's Sister that song? Hazel What's song. What's that one called? Um, uh, oh, been a long, long time. All for you. Ah, the same what it is I see. Yeah, that, I, I always really thought that, thought was, that blues was a Traveler. Blues Traveler yeah, song. 100%. Oh my God, yeah. Because the two Blues Traveler songs that are actually Blues Traveler songs I know are Runaround, yep. which won a... Grammy in 1996, which we'll discuss later on in another segment. Sure, it was um, a huge song in '96. Was a huge ubiquitous song. Weird and when stuff the song in '96, when the song came on, it popped the crowd. They I were bet. they were excited. I bet. And they played it in the middle. I of... too have seen One Hit Wonders perform yeah. live. And then they saved Hook, which is the B side single. That was like that got to like 23 on the charts because I was looking this up when I was standing around. Uh, maybe if I heard it, I don't know that. I always sing it, and people think I don't know it anymore. It's like it was like the hook. Brings you back. It's a chorus. Do do do. I ain't telling you no lie. I feel like maybe I would know but if I didn't sing it like you're a jerk. stylizing it like your Macho Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the hook brings you back. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, yeah. Sure. No. Uh, it. You got to know your audience, I think, a little bit, and it felt like most of what Blues Traveler did outside of those two showpiece songs, which were in the middle of the set and at the end of the encore. They just kind of did like jammy stuff for a while. They were just yeah, kind of like bluesing around. There was a drum solo, which I've know. heard from like no less than yeah. twenty people that the drum solo was just so long and unnecessary and brought it's, everybody down. I've said this so many times. I don't know if you guys know this. Drums don't have melody. There's no notes. <laughs> what's your What's the highest possible ceiling for a drum solo you can tolerate? Three minutes? Uh, Forty seconds? Really? I don't care. It's just timekeeping. You're just doing fancy timekeeping. Jazzy time. <laughs> wow. Jazzy timekeeping. Wow. It's got to be part of Our something. Our West Coast correspondent, Chris Mandry, is probably going wild right now hearing I love, you say I, this. I love Chris Mandry, but I love Chris Mandry when he's playing under some funky beats a little bit better. I like that's how it's supposed to work. Give me a bass and drum. Give me a bass and drum solo. That's I feel what like I'll the, I feel like the trick to a really interesting drum solo is instead of just like going as fast as yeah. you can all the time, you've got to yeah. drop some grooves. Like I've actually seen Chris Mandry when he's in some drum solo competitions and playing all this complicated stuff and all this, you know, blah, 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 like all over hitting stuff, mm-hmm. and then drop into this really sick beat with like you know yeah. a, a nice rhythm like on the bass drum or something, and get everybody be like catch everybody with the hook. You know what I mean? You got to have the hooks. Brings you back. The hook. Oh whoa, that song hook. I, I didn't even mean to do that, but look at me. No lie, on fire. Uh, so yeah, Blues Traveler was a band that played until late, and I got to tell you, by eleven o'clock on a Tuesday night, people kind of want to leave. 
They sure do. Volunteers get mad. Yes, they do. I remember one yes, year when do. I was working at the brewery, the concert ran really late because there was like rain, so we had to yep. hold off for yep. a while. And like in the middle of the show, and just had to go on. And like when you volunteer to do the thing, they tell you like you have to be there till the end yeah. because you know if there's two hours left in the concert and all the pourers leave and we can't serve beer, it's, mm-hmm. it's an issue. Um, but I've definitely seen some times where people are like, yo, nobody told me the show was going until twelve forty-five. Yeah. I teach third mm-hmm. grade. Like I don't know mm-hmm. what to say to you. Yeah. Uh, also, one last thing before we move on because like, we we kind of got to talk about this story. It's like national news now. Um, I just want to shout out anybody who came out uh, on Friday to Handshake City's Christmas in July event. We had the Dunk Tank Christmas out. Christmas in July was a great time. Awesome time, man. Mm-hmm. So cool. Dunk Tank out there. Thank you to Derek Clark, Andrew Dominio, uh, Kerry Bostick, who came out and did the A lot dunk of tank. good sports. Yeah, we raised a lot of money for the Proctor High School Drama mm-hmm. Club. And yeah. it was awesome to see those kids get really excited. Like, I, the kids were super involved. super involved. I talked to so many cool kids yeah. that were like running around. Kids, yeah. you know, running up, like being... You know, just I'd be standing there talking to some people like, oh, excuse me, sir, you look like a man that enjoys the dunk tank. You're a big man with that powerful <laughs> arm. <laughs> like trying to get my, but like really being engaging uh, and chasing the dollars, yeah. man. So good for them. So thank you to all the Proctor Drama Club and everybody who came out and supported uh, uh, Derek and mm-hmm. Carrie and Andrew and everyone who made in Utica. It was a great event. I like the Friday night event. It was kind of nice. The Friday night event was cool. It was nice. It was also kind of a celebration for me yeah. because I got to see uh, a lot of my brother's friends. And we were yeah. celebrating the fact that. Uh, my brother, great friend of the podcast, my brother Andy, welcomed his daughter into the world just last week. So we've got a brand new daughter on the team. Uh, Miss Olivia Hart was born. She's happy. She's healthy. Mom and dad are killing it. And, um, man, awesome news. And you know what? Uh, I was talking about this with uh, Kate and Parkinson a couple of days ago. I haven't discussed it with you. Got to get your brother back on, and he gets a free minute now to do the dad cast. Oh, dad we did cast bad, for we sure. Did bachelor cast for sure. We got to have him on for they're dad still, cast. I mean, they just they just brought the baby home yesterday, yeah, so they're time. still like some time. they're still like, oh, this baby but is, Andy, in, is in my house here the whole time. But Andy, whenever you can find a free moment uh, when you're free, whenever you're ready, no time limit, no any free open mm-hmm. invitation, whenever you want, mm-hmm. dad cast is here for you to share your lessons about being a father. We're very proud of you. Recurring segment was the dad cast. Dad cast. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's get to the, the story that's making national news. Uh, earlier this week, uh, the Boilermaker on Sunday, the Sunday race morning, yeah. the race was delayed for a half an hour. Uh, and people were, there's a story going on that it was delayed because of a murder. That was what people had sort of heard during the Boilermaker. Uh, today, it's come out that this story has gotten a lot darker. It's a really tough, yeah. it's a really tough story to talk about. And of course, I mean, you can go on, it's on Washington Post, it's on it's Rolling Stone, it's on New York Times, uh, Bianca Devins. Uh, was a 17-year-old internet personality who was reportedly murdered by uh, a gentleman named Brandon Clark, who was also a, attempting to be an influencer type in Utica, New York. This is really, this is heavy, heavy shit right here. Like, I don't, it's super dark, and it really makes me uncomfortable with, like, just, I keep thinking about, like, the dark social underbelly of the internet, right? That's all I can think about, right, this whole time, the more I read about it. The way that, like, it's... Uh, it's really hard to talk about. The headlines I keep reading are so gross. There's a weird dichotomy. Like, there's so much coverage about it, and you read the headlines, and it sounds so grotesque in the headlines, but it is grotesque. And I just... I, it makes me very uncomfortable, especially knowing how many of my kids, like, knew of her or knew her or followed her on social media and the way that these people are connected and how many people wouldn't even know about this story otherwise and the way it unfolded. It's just very chilling. It feels like an episode of Black Mirror. I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of commentary on it, I guess. But um, I mean, I think the whole, 
I do think a bit of the notion of like the the social media and influencer angles um, is a bit of a concoction from the national news media. That, I wonder if that's the case. One hundred percent. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100, no, one hundred percent. Because it makes it a more digestible, sensationalized story uh, to the people. Yeah. So there's been like a lot of misinformation, but the people I've talked that's to locally true. in news and like people in you know our local police force, people I'm friends with and stuff like that, kind of. Um, it's super sad and it's yeah. horrible and it's I mean it sounds like I think the stuff that's the most unsettling is that like you know this you know because kids uh, do so much take to social media that like you know this kid like posted a lot of like super duper mega graphic stuff yeah. to like his Snapchat and his Instagram like full on as gory as you could ever be with this thing and like that stuff's out there and for people and I think that makes it really really wild for folks and you know it's it seems it's just it's a it's a crazy thing. Were we morbid when we were kids? Not the way kids are now. Is that is that really the case though? Because I wonder if it's look at yeah, look at everything. Look at everything about the youth that the kid, the, the culture that the youth of this country like enjoys and consumes. Yeah. And I'm not saying that the the pop culture is doing it to them. I think pop culture is always kind of a reflection. Yeah. But like you look at a lot of the most you know popular songs and um, even like you know all the memes yeah. that kids use today yes. and like laugh and joke about and. I think to a lot of people over age 30, it would sound silly to call memes culture, but like for it's, younger generations, yeah. it is what it is. Um, and, you know, you can read a lot more about it, and it's actually, you know, there's some stuff there. But all these kids do is songs about, like, being depressed, wanting to be dead, wanting to die, like, yeah. just bleak, bleak, bleak stuff. Like, joking about, you know, being depressed, life has no meaning, everything like that. This is part of the wave of the culture who, you know, grew up in this post-9-11, post-Columbine, everything's awful, doom and gloom on the news media every single yeah. day, you know, our uncertain climate future and all these different things that happen. These kids grow up soaked in this stuff, and yeah, it makes them a lot, like, darker. I don't know if that's this situation specifically in the sense that, like, you know, not it's, it's not certainly not to trivialize it, but, like, you know, murders happen all the time. Like, yeah. Men kill women in situations of like passion and yeah. misplaced like love and anger yeah. often. They've often, been doing yeah. it forever. And, you know, I think some of that extra stuff is some of the frosting you have to add on to it to turn it into a national story and sort of generate that angle yeah. of it. But, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, life is pretty bleak for like teens right now. A lot bleaker than I think we give it credit for. And, you know, part of it is it's always the way, and as time goes on, you know, we were bleaker than our parents were as teens. Yes. But, man, it just keeps going. There is a report that I pulled up last week we didn't talk about that sort of ties into what we're talking about here. Uh, in 2017, <coughs> the Center for Disease Control uh, reported that uh, U.S. teen and young adult suicide rates are the highest that they've ever been mm -hmm. on record. The closest it came was in 1994 when it was yeah. 13.6. Right now we're at 14.5. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among, uh, among teenagers. Mm -hmm. It's... And it What's makes, number one? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. This was in the article. I didn't. Uh, I didn't hmm. pull up the exact numbers. I'd be interested to know. Uh, yeah. I mean, who knows? Like, it's not heart disease or anything. That's like an adults' game. Uh, I feel it might like. be something. Yeah. Maybe like yeah, traffic car accidents. accidents. Yeah, like cancer. Maybe I don't cancer, know. I don't know. It's it. It makes me nervous as a teacher because you know I feel like I'm on the first line of defense a lot of times, along with like the parents. I see these kids every day, right? Like I can see when one of my kids is acting differently than he was last week, right? right. And it becomes really, you know, there's there's things called gatekeeper training, which teachers and parents can do. Like, mm -hmm. you know, go, I, and if you are a teacher or a parent, like go online, look at gatekeeper training. It sort of helps you to uh, find ways to actively reach out to kids who. That's maybe really have, interesting. Yeah, um, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And it's, I've had kids in my personal experience who, you know, I don't think they were really trying to harm themselves. I think it's, you know, you... But kids who are obviously having a very yeah. tough time. And it's... it's Going Im- through some heavy stuff that they didn't know how to deal with. And I think it's important that, you know, there's a line of communications that needs to exist between, like, educators mm-hmm. and the parents and, and people in the community and counselors. And there needs to be... A lot of kids feel like there's... People don't care about them. I think that's like the number one thing. Like in yeah. this culture, more than in the well, past, I feel. And I like. think when you when you talk about the modern culture and social media, I do think where some of that stuff does come back around and become applicable is, um, you know, we talk about how much more you, you see a lot of like word fodder on you know clicky blogs, uh, talking about the virtue of the fact that everybody feels a lot more alienated and isolated because of social media, and that stuff yeah. transfers down to the kids too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I think it's it's got to be really easy. I imagine it's got to be really easy for a young kid, a young teen in school to feel very alone and isolated, you know. And I don't know if it's the same way that it was when we were kids where, like, you know, when we were kids, we had this this big network, this, you know, core crew of, you know, of, yeah. of friends, of, yes. like, core fundamental yeah. people that are always there. And you hang out with them every day. And if you've got other friends, you see other people too. But, like, this is my deep squad. I can call these guys anytime. Yeah. You know what I mean? Go see them anytime. These people will always be here, you know, this and that. And I don't know that kids have that to the same extent mm, and feels, depth nowadays. It feels like larger groups of acquaintances and smaller right. insular relationships. There right, is right. not like, you know, I, I feel like you might have yeah. more friends, quote unquote, but you have less like close, intimate friends that yeah. you would go to and be like, hey man, I'm feeling like so yeah. I'm feeling some sort of way about this yeah. real heavy thing in my life. I don't yeah. know what to do. You know what I even, mean? You know, even in high school growing up, when we had, I guess we had cell phones, but not in the way that cell phones and social media yeah. is well, not, now. Not really. I mean, not I, got, really. I got a cell phone halfway through my senior yeah. year, and I was one of the half of the kids. Yeah. Maybe. I would say I, there, there were probably eight to ten kids, houses I'd been to and parents I'd met, who just sort of would have accepted any of our crew of people to just sort of come in at any time. It oh, was, yeah. Yeah. Oh, who's and, this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, people like, yeah. you know, Mrs. Vasali, Mrs. Anderson, different people like yeah. that. Mrs. Meliani's being like, oh, and who's this? Mm-hmm. Who's this person? You know, well, you're welcome here. You need something to eat if you got to stay. You know what I mean? The whole thing. Uh, I had a palate cleanse segment. We've gone kind of long. Do we think we need a palate cleanse? Yeah, for sure. I mean, do you th- is there anything that you feel like we need to, I mean, got a hit on it afterwards? All I really want to say, you know, for, for, I don't know how many of my, like, student age kids are out here listening to this podcast or how many people are age. Oh, you're in trouble. no i just i life is tough and it's like one of those hard things to teach people and like people go through ups and downs that exist in life and whether or not you believe that there are people out there who care about you whether or not you are you know not delusional but caught up in the idea that no one cares about you there's always somebody whether it's someone you know or not is well you know you have teachers you have parents you have people around you who care about you more than you realize and it's i just you know you should know that you're not alone out there and there are people to reach out to if you feel like you are alone that's that's, always and furthermore you know i think i can i can say about you and i can say about myself too like a lot of times you know people you got friendships with people maybe you're not that close all the time but there's still people that you know that that would be there and that would so you'd be surprised who you reach out to like i can i can pretty much guarantee to anybody anybody i know if they came reaching out to me with like some real serious stuff i can't promise i can fix it for you but man i'd be there to help you especially like you know when your alternative is some real bleak stuff like that I think anybody in, that yeah. I know, genuinely. I think in times like this, it's good to know that there are people out there who always will do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Oh, you know I, I, mean? would, yeah. I would always say yeah. that about the kids on my staff. I yeah. say that about people all the time. I like all the best kids on my staff would be like, I like this kid. You know, not only does he always do the right thing, but he does the right thing just because it's the it's right the thing right to thing. do. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, all right, let's do our quick palate cleanser. Kev, <laughs> have you signed up for the giant Facebook petition for the public to rise up and storm Area 51 to figure out if there are aliens there? I'll tell you, normally... <laughs> no, I, uh, normally... <laughs> Go ahead, sure. Can I just call you the, the name of the Facebook event for folks who don't know? It's called Storm Area 51. They can't stop us all. They can stop some of you. It's and true, they but will. Not all, but not all. <laughs> They've got like 600,000 signatures, I think, which is insane. Um, normally, I'm pretty, uh, you know, I'm pretty on top of. Uh, <laughs> Of trends and and like memes and things and like yeah. like things that bubble up on the internet. It's, very often I'll catch myself somebody like yo, did you see this thing? And I'm like, oh yeah, I saw it last week. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and different stuff like that. Just you know, but this is one that I don't know if it was just a busy weekend or a busy week <laughs> or something. But I got in the internet one day and like it had already like fermented for three yeah, or four yeah. days and was like this whole big thing out of nowhere. And so I had to go back and. And read back and be like, wait, what the hell's going on? Why is every meme on the internet that I see today about Area 51? This is... <laughs> get a look at them aliens. This is a little bit of an older story now. I did read today that the U.S. government, not pleased. Uh, Couldn't imagine <laughs> not, not ex- There's nothing in Area 51. If there, if there was, it's not there now. It's not like Independence No, they're moving Day. it right now because they're, everybody was coming. They're moving it right one now. Of the, one of the things I saw oh, that was man. crazy, I can't... The only person off the top of my head, I can't remember them all, but I saw like there was a good like five or six celebrities like, y'all, man, I'll be there. But it was like Chuck Norris <laughs> and like other people who were like just really like just basically like catching on to the thing yeah. for like a little bit of James buzz. Woods, but uh, Keanu Reeves was like, I'm coming. Oh, you know? Well... That's John Wick 4. I don't know if you knew that. John Wick versus... I, this is going to be... I mean, this is obviously going to be one of those things where, like, you know, 15 people show up, don't do anything, and go home. But yeah, for sure. It's just hilarious. And it would be... You know, I wish that people would take this same concept and apply it to stuff that matters more because, <laughs> no, they can't stop us all. No. No, they can't stop everybody. You Great know what point. I mean? Like, why, if, why don't you get out and, like, you know, protest, like, you know, peacefully, like, don't break stuff, don't burn stuff, but go protest in the streets about stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? No, no, Area 51. Just take all these people down to the White House, down to the Capitol, you know? They don't want to go down there. They want to go see the aliens. <laughs> it's true. All right, let's get to... Uh... You know how I know that there's no aliens at Area 51? Because if there were aliens in Area 51, Trump would have tweeted that out two years ago. I was, I was there <laughs> oh, no. with the aliens. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Let's get to no, it. was like, y'all, Area 51, I'm the only one to know this, but I'll tell you. Like, he can't keep a secret like no, that. No. They might have lied to him about it. They probably did. Probably did. The real deep state. <laughs> the true not deep the, state. Not the uppercase, lowercase deep state they talk about on uh, Fox News, but let's, the uh, real deep state. Let's get to this week's interview. Uh, with uh, resident uh, head witch in charge of business, uh, Modus's uh, Alyssa Dibble, who's back for a second time. Uh, I didn't look up last time. It was she a was long on. time, though, I think, I didn't right? realize how long ago it was. I yeah. thought she'd been on in between, in the interim, but I love talking to Alyssa. She's the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a great conversation, talked about uh, restaurant culture. We talked about mental health, actually, for a while, which is a stimulating conversation. So a lot of good stuff there. Uh, we'll be back to the show in just a moment.
I, uh, sometimes I'll start talking and it hasn't moved and I'll, like, lose good content. It's a that. big podcasting problems. <laughs> uh, Alyssa, what's up? You're back. I'm back. You're back. It's been a while. It's been a couple it has, of years. Has it been a couple of years now? I, think so. I I gotta go. I was gonna do the research, but I've had such a long day that I didn't think to go look through my iTunes history to see when you were last on. But this is probably your third, just second, second, second time. Second time. Well, welcome to the Two Timers Club. Well, it's thank nice to you. Have you thank back. you. <laughs> um, of course, last time you were here, you were talking about Utica Bread. Today, we're talking about Modus. So Absolutely. we'll get into that in just a minute. But uh, a couple things I want to uh, I want to start off with. Uh, some non sequitur stuff. Number one, I saw you out in public a couple weeks ago. We were at Nail Creek. Absolutely. And I saw you at the the White Noise Wednesdays show that Tim Schramm and those dudes were showing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I saw you there. And it's funny because I, and I mean, we don't have to get into your personal trauma that we were discussing before the podcast, but I've had this big issue with myself lately. I've been real stressed out about this. And I told Kevin earlier in the week that I have gotten very content. Now that I'm busy at work, and I'm, like, trying to catch up on my bills, and I got, like, a small promotion earlier this month, so I'm, like, trying to, like, use that money for good and not, like, just spend it all wildly. It's gotten really easy for me to just stay home and mm-hmm. not, like, go out in public and not, like, engage in anything that's not, like, made in Utica-related and, like, just... I get very insulated. Absolutely. And I've tried really hard over the last, like, couple of weeks to be less insulated, even though I'm not, like, a huge drinker and, like, going out to a bar and getting drunk is not always my way to go to. But, like, I have noticed, like, there's there does seem to be a fine line, though, where, like, it gets really easy, especially at, like, my age in this early 30s, to, like, fall into that wheelhouse of just doing nothing. <laughs> it's just me. So, you know, I took three months off of drinking in October. Three months due off. To, due to some medical and mm. some personal stuff. But, um, mm. so there was a very large time where I really stopped and, um... I have so much free time at this current moment <laughs> that I've been allowing myself to take a vacation, but not a vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, because for a time I wasn't doing that because I got into that routine and like taking it's care of yourself yeah. and getting healthy. And like, hmm. you know, when you work, I was doing some doubles and I think I did a 60, 70 hour week in like oh, four yeah. days. And that, like, it's... I used to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to go have a drink because I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. But now I'm at the point where it's like, no, you need to go home and get some rest so that you can tackle the day better and feel better about yourself. Well, so it is a... How much of that, too, is restaurant culture? I think about that all the time. Like, restaurant culture, and it's hard for people who don't, who've never worked in a restaurant in any capacity to understand this. You work such odd hours. We do. You work such weird hours, and you tend to... The only people who are around in the hours when you're ready to do something are the people who live in this environment with you who work these weird hours. That's absolutely... It's really easy to fall into, like, I'm just going to wait here at the bar for my my tips to come in, or I'm going to talk to the waiters I was just with because they went through the same crap I went through. (laughs) That's the thing, too, and, and, you know, I love, you know, I went from never dealing with, like, people. Yeah. And then I went into the customer service, you know, aspect of it. So yeah. I still still question my decision making. But um, you you deal with things that are just sometimes you can't even believe it. And and like, but then the other side of is it of it is that you have so many amazing people that you deal with, and that's why oh, you yeah. do it every day. Oh yeah. But then there are times though, like. If you get, if you don't sleep for a few nights and this happens and you got a couple like stressful nights and we're super busy and blah, 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 blah. And then you stumble on that one customer and you're like, 
it's really, <laughs> really hard to give them good service. And then sometimes at the end of the day, if you don't, you feel bad about it. You're like, I let it's... this person get the best of me. Teaching is not dissimilar in the way that, like, uh, I will sit around and think about a mistake I've made for four or five days, ignoring all the other, like, non-mistakes that I may have made in that same time. Like, yeah. for all the kids that I did help or, you know, did good stuff with. If I give the kid bad advice or the wrong answer on something and I'm helping him out, that's the thing I'll think about, right? You tend to think about the bad customers. You don't think about all the other customers who had great meals and great service and yes. kept you and were very nice. It is those outliers mm-hmm. that tend to linger on your mind afterwards. It does. And <laughs> sometimes, like, you can let it take you down if you don't yeah. think Jeez. positively mm-hmm. or... You know, the one thing I've learned about being a manager now for quite a few years now is Mm. you need to bring a great environment to your staff, too. Yeah. So, like... There's a fine line, though. Yes, there is a fine line. But, you know, when when you can go upstairs and, like, smile and provide people with, Mm -hmm. like, some happiness and tell everyone they're doing a good job, it's like, it's even these little things that Mm. just you know, make it worthwhile and, and, and keep your staff going, which allows your staff to be happy for the customers, which allow you to be happy. And so it is a whole symbiotic kind of relationship as well. And I do it's want, hard. I do want to get into some of the, uh, some more pressing issues about restaurants and stuff. But before we do, a couple of things I wanted to ask that I noticed on your social media feed and I wanted to discuss. One, did you go to the Boilmaker? Were you there on Sunday and all? I did not. You did not. I you. wanted to <laughs> for the third year in a row and I didn't, but... You know, that is what it is. Did you end up going to Boss's for the first time? Because I saw you talking about this. I went to Boss's. <laughs> yes. So I went to, we went mini golfing at the new Palm Springs in Marcy. There's a new Palm Springs in Marcy? They, they reopened or something. Good. It's all cleaned up. It's nicer. I always like that one up there. And it's then just... Voss opened a restaurant for them up there. Uh, oh, really? Yes. Interesting. So huh. it was, you know, it was hard because there's so many people out, but it was pretty nice there yesterday and a bunch of me and my girlfriends went up and... What did you think of the Voss experience? It was good. Like, I mean, you know, I come from fine dining, so I don't expect, like... Yeah, right, right, I expected, you know, a couple burgers and fries and all these, like, really good things that, you know, were just simple. And it was good, though. Like, I really enjoyed it. And I find that Voss is an interesting thing. I'm sort of a hot take artist with Voss. I think Voss is a little bit overrated, like, for what it gets. But I do think that the, the hot dog... Like the Mexi melt, like there's certain things there that I'm like, these are not overrated. I had a chili these, dog. Yeah, it was this good. is very rated. <laughs> this is rated adequately. Yeah, I think that like the idea that everything in the menu is like knockdown drag out is a bit overrated. But there are certain things in that menu that are strong. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you just want to go get a burger and a hot dog, it's a yeah. perfect for, perfect place to go. Again, it's the social thing. I don't like to stand outside and eat with like a million people. That's my big problem too. Is, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, talk to all these people and wait around. I'm, again, I'm not as social as people would assume for being like a podcast. Does it make guy. you feel better that I had a few White Claws in me when we went? Oh, well, we, we can jump to White Claws right now. That was in the bottom of my, uh, my the bottom of my list of things because I was at a post maker party yesterday. I was at a Made New to Go event on Friday. I was at another event on Saturday. When, okay, I don't really drink all that often, and when I do, it's usually like scotch or yeah, a Utica club because I'm very, like, basic, like, white dude. <laughs> uh, what, when did White Claw become so ubiquitous that it's everywhere in the world? Is it as good as people are making it out to be? So, so I recently, like, 
throughout the summer, I've bought each of it, kind of every pack. Yes. Because I did want to see. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be a common theme, I've I, noticed. Well, <laughs> I wanted to see. And, and you know, for me, they don't give me hangovers. Like, yeah. you can drink, sure. like, sure, quite sure. a few of them without feeling awful the next day. Um, yeah. And it takes me a while to drink one. So, like, it's, it's nice. But I'm also not the biggest beer drinker. I do like mm. to drink beer. But in the sun and, like, oh, hot, really? like, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't. So... White Claw, I don't know. Like, I started liking it a few months ago, but there's so many people. Like, it's, it used to be, like, a chick thing, too. And yeah, that's no, like, true. Yeah, it's, yeah. like, just so many people drinking it. It's crazy. I have gotten to the point now where it's sort of like, um, I mean, I wasn't very tempted for this. It's sort of like the <laughs> Twilight novels, right? Yes. Like, so many people are talking about it. It's so ubiquitous. I'm almost tempted to be like, all right, I guess I'll try one. But... There's part of me that's like, I'm never having one. The backlash against my cause is that I never want to taste it. Don't give it to me. I'm not interested. I'm that kind of person, too, because I don't like to do what everyone else is doing. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, no, I can't do it. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know what? I gave in, and here I am, so. <laughs> uh, of course, we are talking to the head witch in charge. Those are her words. Uh, uh, yes. The host. Uh, you're, you're the host manager. What's your, what's your position title at Modus right now? So right now I, you know, I was doing part-time there and, um, I was full-time at the bakery and I just, uh, you know, it was my time. So mm. during the part-time, um, you know, it was hard to work two jobs, but oh, yeah. I was hosting, I'm hosting a couple days a week. And now that I have more time, I'm uh, cross training against, you know, full uh, serving and bartending. Nice. So nice. Oh. kind of, you know, I like to do a lot of different yeah, things. Yeah, you, so. you always, and every time we've ever come across each other in business saying, you seem to be willing to sort of do whatever's necessary. Yeah, I enjoy not, I enjoy days that aren't monotonous and we same can, thing. We can move past this very quickly. Are you still, like, friendly with the Utica Bread folks? Was it like a, it was not like... Can you, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it just, <laughs> it you know... didn't throw you out or anything. For, <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> Four years, though, and it was my time. I was, I was hurting personally, and... Yeah. Um, it just was a lot of work and I needed a break. Um, and the biggest thing I've learned is like, you can't let self-care go. Even at work, even if you love your job, you put it first. Like I let all of my self-care go in the past few years. And like, that's one of the reasons why I needed to leave was to just take care of myself again. It's really, I think that's the other thing we were talking about earlier about how it's easy to fall in like patterns. I think the other one with restaurant life particularly is it's really easy to, like just take really poor care of yourself. Like I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how many nights at Carmine's when I was working in the city, I would get home. Like I'm walking back to my house at three in the morning. The only thing that's open is the bodega. So yeah. it's like, well, give me two San Pellegrinos and four oatmeal cream pies, and that's what I'm eating for dinner tonight because that's what there is, right? That's, so yeah, and like, yeah. well, you get home, and I'm like, okay, I have all this good food I bought at the store, and I'm like, mm. I don't. It's one. I don't want to cook right now and it's it, it's true it's one of those things i see with chefs a lot too it's like oh, a chef... the chefs work the chefs at modus work so hard like you know like they are there oh, yeah. from morning to night it's crazy and and if and you know they i think they've also realized too like you have to take care yeah. of yourself because they do you know and they work hard to take care of themselves because it's hard but it also still when you work that much you have to you have to neglect some things but as a guy who has not gone out to dinner or, uh, like, anywhere out in public or a dinner type to spend money in, like, over a year and a half because I've been... I, I swear it's just been one of those kind of things. Like, I cook at home or I, like, go out with my family to some 
restaurant that the kids want to go to, yeah. my nieces and nephews like to go to, if it's a family event, right? Mm-hmm. I've not just gone out to, like, Modus or Taylor and the Cook or whatever just to have, like, a solo meal for myself and Lord knows how long. Mm-hmm. So I feel kind of odd asking this question, like, how do you feel like Modus has established terms? Do you have, like, a regular clientele now that you feel really comfortable with? Like, what's sort of the... How does we, it... we are really, you know, it's... Almost two years now, so yeah. we're really like as a host it feels too. Longer than that too, it does it? feel a little bit longer. <laughs> um, you know, I've known them for you know I started working at the Taylor and the Cook yeah. with them. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was there briefly. So and you also <laughs> worked with us. So all our pals. All of <laughs> but um, yeah, it seems a lot longer. But we're definitely starting to build a really nice customer base. Yeah. Um, we have some really you know I've started like you know you meet certain people yeah. and. You see them every week, and you have that conversation, and, you know, you just become friends, and it's nice. And I think, too, you established sort of an identity for the restaurant over a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, your first year in, you're sort of getting a feel for, like, what are we? What are we doing here? Like, we're trying to, mm-hmm. what are people like that we're doing? What are people not like? How do we hone that into, like, the stuff that people really into? You know what I mean? Yes. I think it takes that amount of time. You know what I mean? Someone uh, walked in this weekend and they said, oh, I miss my people. And it was just nice. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, people that appreciate, like, the fine dining and, like, how much care we take every day mm-hmm. to, like, you know, pick fresh herbs or, you know, mm-hmm. go out and pick the strawberries ourselves or, yeah, 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 like, yeah. all those things. And so it's nice that people do come in and recognize that and really appreciate like how much yeah, yeah. we care about what we're doing well i think there's a you know you we're gonna get into a discussion about some fast food stuff that i think is funny later oh <laughs> but i do think as you know as we get into a culture that's very like on the move all the time i think there is sort of a growing appreciation for that like not the chain restaurant not the fast food restaurant not like something that feels like there's more time and quality put into it i think that's been going on for a longer period yes. than just like the last yes. But I, I'm hoping that more and more people are feeling that. I feel like it's the same thing where I feel the internet backlash is starting to build over the last like couple of years. Like people are like, yes. I spend too much time on my phone and the internet. I might want to cut back and read a book more. <laughs> I feel that's, like that's happening. Thank goodness too. I hope so. <laughs> uh, so real quick, I don't know if you guys did. You guys just finish up Restaurant Week, or was that last month? I'm totally again. That shows how long it's been since I've been doing. That a was uh, June. That was June. How did that go for you guys? Good. Yeah. yeah. It was busy. Um, that was kind of, I was still kind of transitioning, so I wasn't there sure. as much, but I know that it was super busy and, you know, we had some great features and, um, yeah, yeah, it worked out really well. And we also, they extended for a few more days, the special, sure. just nice. to allow people that, anyone who wanted to and didn't get a chance. So you, uh, before we get into any of this stuff, I know you wanted to, I wanted to get some actual promotional stuff out here for anything you guys have coming up or any updates about things you guys feel like are coming up on the horizon before I get into some funnier stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the one thing, uh, we are kind of expanding our wedding and special events catering. So, Smart. um, people please reach out, um, to Emmy at Modus and, you know, ask what's going on and we got some of that good stuff going on and we do have you know there's always it's a f- ever-changing food industry yeah. so there's a lot of good ideas and like you know just new food ideas and all mm-hmm. these things that are going to be coming out so well the catering thing's interesting because i always feel like with a lot of places the catering is an untapped market even at, at the restaurant in new york i was doing that was a huge portion mm-hmm. of what we were doing as well and it was not really something that we were discussing openly in the restaurant obviously mm-hmm. in public but it was 
it was surprising at the end of the day to be like, huh, this catering thing is a nice is a nice side yeah. side gig. I think people, and you know, this is goes <coughs> to say for Taylor that for hmm. at, anywhere that I've done, like like a restaurant hosts a catering event. You know, people just really appreciate like the fact that you don't have to go to certain places or kind of sure. sacrifice what you want for nice events or yeah, parties exactly. and like yes yeah. yes you have to charge accordingly and yada yada but that's you know standard so so uh your facebook profile says you had you listed as the host at modus but you might be one of those people like me who just never updates any of their facebook stuff so every business you've ever worked for is still like <laughs> listed on there i just sometimes uh, try to add just... those things but uh but i'm curious in your opinion i've always been on the waiting side of things mm-hmm. i just i am i can't cook for anyone besides like my friends and myself like I would crumble under the pressure like Gordon Ramsay he would yelling at me or something uh do you prefer the hosting or the waiting or or bartending or which of those do you feel like suits your personality best so towards the end of the bakery I was mixing yeah yeah yeah. and I was doing a lot of back of house stuff so (laughs) it was it was nice so I've I'm actually, I realized, like, I actually enjoy doing, like, the food prep and, like, that aspect the most. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it depends, you know. It's it's nice to change it up for me. I enjoy hosting. I haven't host, you know, this is kind of the first time I've ever done a host position. Like, I've always served. I've bartended. um, You know, I know I do all the wine things. but. Um, so it's a, nice to... You have a pretty to... good wine knowledge. You've always had a good head for wine, I feel like. Yeah. Well, <laughs> still continue, and I'm trying to bring that back. But mm. um, but it's nice to put the last piece of the puzzle together for yeah. me, hosting. Like, to mm. get, like, just exactly how the flow of the restaurant goes. And you see it. And you see, like, what's needed where. And if someone, you know, if too many people that come in. And, like, you, you kind of see and you got to kind of patch together the pieces and make sure that like everything you know if four people go in they can't sit at a two top and it's, <laughs> it seems like simple but sometimes it's not and people are late people are early people want to sit at the bar so like you know you have to like really make sure that everyone gets the same exact experience experience with all those parameters well there's a lot more to the hosting thing than people give it credit for it's not just like let me take you to your table that's in order <laughs> right at least in you know working in Carmine's working in that New York City one it was like we have to understand how to pace all of these tables you have to understand how to have a flow at this restaurant and make sure we're not getting congested or slammed or uh, we're booking ourselves or underbooking ourselves um and i always felt like as a waiter and this is like a a controversial question i always felt like waiters get tipped far too high a share of like the tippage as opposed to the chefs in the back as opposed to the hosts and i don't know how you necessarily like fix that problem because bartenders have it the best. I feel like bartenders make them like with it with depends. Tip um, so if you work, you know, if you work at a simpler restaurant where there is food service, but bar te- people go there for drinks, yeah. well, the bartender wins. Well, if you're a bartender where there's mostly food service, well, you're making right, drinks right, for right. people that aren't sitting in front of you, and then they go to a table. So mm. then there's that aspect, um, and then you know the people that back wait and help bring your plates and. And keep you, you know, so each, it's a really hard situation to think about the tipping system. It's tough, right? You know, from a tip pool to um, just getting your own tips. But again, in any of that situation, the chefs still don't get tipped out. And that's terrible because they work insanely hard. I know some of the busters got screwed too. Like we had busboys and I don't know, you know, it's different when you're in like a big giant restaurant. There's like 15 busboys for like 80 tables and like maybe one busboy, but... I always feel like, man, these guys 
are not getting compensated properly for what they should be making. It's hard. It really is. And sometimes you luck out and sometimes you have a good night. Sometimes you'll have a bad night. And that sometimes I think leads to the weird feelings you sometimes get between wait staff and Mm -hmm. kitchen staff. And I think Mm -hmm. that's an important balance to maintain when you want a successful restaurant is not having this sort of tension between the two, the two platforms. It's nice to be able to be very like a small team right now Mm -hmm. and we're very cohesive and everyone communicates. And so it is a wonderful work environment, but you know, that's not the case for everybody. So, um, I just have to ask one last thing before you. Uh, social media over there. I love the website, but you guys got to get on that Twitter profile. It's like, since last time I had Vincent on, I feel like it hasn't changed much. There. I gotta, I gotta... <laughs> well, you know. That's a hard thing, though, because that's it's something you think about. Like, 20 years ago, there was no reason to have a social media arm for anything. Now it becomes like, hey, does anyone at this job want to do this thing that we yeah. never had to do before? <laughs> it is extraneous, and, and the thing is, you let things go when other things are more important. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully with, like, all these new things that, we're, again, we're hoping to, yeah, yeah. like, you know, we're doing, you know, got some new people and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully all these things will yeah. start to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh just uh, for my end, you always seem to be so knowledgeable about your wines and your foods. Do you keep up on, like, food documentaries, like YouTube stuff? Are you watching food content constantly? Yes. Um, <laughs> I get Bon Appetit Magazine, Food and Wine, oh, Wine Spectator, and Save Your... I never can pronounce it right. If so, yeah, Save Your. Save Your. Save Your. I do all the food and wine documentaries. Oh, yeah. You watch the Bon Appetit YouTube channel? Yes. It's excellent. Um, they do really good content. Yeah, I, I find the Chef Brad, I think it is. It's, he's very charming. He's very Brad. funny. <laughs> um, I thought that he was the star of that of their whole like stream. And I, but I was looking at the numbers. Mm-hmm. That girl Claire, who does the gourmet yes, versions of yes. junk food, her videos are pulling tons of views. People like, love fancy junk food. Fancy junk food. So I dedicate my Instagram feed, if you haven't noticed, yeah, to yeah. food and wine <laughs> mostly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I Facebook, social media, like yeah. everything I follow is food and wine. Mm-hmm. I, I really try to keep my social media positive. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of, of all the negativity about. that exists in the <laughs> like, I can read world the paper and pay <laughs> yeah. attention, but. Um, but um, I just uh, don't remember what I was going to say. Well, we were talking about food documentaries and like going to have tea. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So like I try to keep. A profile of and I'm trying to grow my account just yeah, yeah. as like an Instagram food person sure. and it is so hard I I'll, you know I'll post wine and I get a bunch of people that follow me in wine and then I'll lose some followers and I'll post fancy food and then fancy food people like so it's like I haven't found my niche yet but people love like the hungry Jew I think yep. um brunch boys like I have a buddy. cheat day eats like all those junk food posts and like Shout One of the reasons to... I posted Voss's picture is to add to yeah. that. Well, my buddy, uh, my buddy Anthony O'Connell was a stand-up comedian in New York, and he has a pretty significant Instagram following because he started a sort of food thing in New York called Upper Feast Side. I think he's up to like forty-five thousand people, which wow. I mean, for him, like from doing his stand-up thing and from what he was doing, like this has become his whole thing. I don't know what it takes to like take off in that like influencer world now. I've, I've, I've I'm so bad with my social media outside of like. Here's this week's show. Check it out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I am not good at engaging. I think that's a real skill that, like, we're yes. going to have to start teaching to people. Yes. Um, you have to know how to hashtag. It sounds yes. ridiculous. So, it but... sounds so weird. And, and these are all the things I learned at the bakery, you know. Yeah. I know exactly, like, 
I can tell who likes the photos that I post or <laughs> one of my employees posts or like, it, and you know, yeah. it's all different angles and it's funny. Like I'm very, uh, very clean and crisp and, yeah. and try to be very light yeah. and specific. And people don't like my posts as much as if someone just went and took a bunch of pictures and yeah. took less care, which is funny to me. But that's, you know, and I'm, I've still been trying to figure that out. I'm like, what is it about that? And, and like, maybe it's the time of the day, though. Maybe yeah. it's... I struggle <clears throat> with it because I hate to admit it. People like video content. People love video people content. People love video yes. content. And video content is a pain. And it's not as when I do my live feeds. It's, it's tough. I, I if I were really wanted to get more people watching the show, I'd do more live stuff. And I think that's where the crux of my like my anxiety about it comes. Yes, like, I, yes. I don't know how I feel about live stuff. But uh, all right. So real quick, I just want to talk about this. I saw on your Twitter account that you were going off. About the Burger King taco. Oh. Did you try the one dollar Burger King? No, taco? no. But my again, like, so I follow all food stuff. I yeah. follow like a, a funny like what the heck? This is not Flavor yeah, yeah. Town group. Like yeah, yeah. So like it's half of my feed is just food, and like <laughs> there's so many pictures of like the ad, which the taco looked pretty nice, and then there's like a. It just looks disgusting. Like, it's, it doesn't, like, someone had, like, it looked like a little meatball smashed into a taco with, like, a whole half of a ice, iceberg piece of lettuce. And, like, like I had, I didn't tweet about it, but, like, I thought it was hilarious how much everyone was so upset about it. The whole it. marketing campaign, I think, for the Burger King taco is, isn't it weird that Burger King has a taco? It's only a dollar. It's got to be terrible. Let me go check it out. Right? I feel like that's the entire marketing. Like, this can't be good. Let's go try and see if it's not good. And then, if you didn't see Mr. Early, Joseph Early commented... Oh, God. Uh, I love Joe. The ta- <laughs> cracks me up. He's like, the Burger King taco is not new. It's been around since 2001. And I'm he's, like... <laughs> he's spot on, because I've definitely had a Burger King taco. Not currently, but in the past incarnations. It was a thing that existed, like the McRib. It's a little bit weird. It sort of pops up in and out. Uh, the other one, though, that I saw today... I'm curious if you've seen it. Have you seen... The Kentucky Fried Chicken Cheetos Chicken Sandwich. No, and that doesn't sound like right. Oh my god, it looks so gross. <laughs> it's it's a sandwich bun with the chicken. Well, okay, it's a bed of Cheetos, the piece of chicken, and then a Cheetos flavored like oil that they spray over the top of it. Yeah, that's bad. I, I've read articles on sites that I trust that it's good. <laughs> I don't believe it. I don't know. It's too millennial. I, <laughs> fast food is terrible. No matter what you say, like you can like a McDonald's burger, but it's terrible. Oh, they're all terrible. You I mean, know, I like them anyway, but they're all terrible. Why can't we just eat a regular buffalo chicken sandwich, frankly? Like, What's the last fast food you, um, you've actually eaten? You've so actually consumed? I'm on this, again, the self-care thing and including that, like I am trying very much so to get mm-hmm. back into shape. Mm-hmm. Doing great. Out? Working out. Uh, I'm struggling to get back to the gym. I'm dying. You know what? I don't know what it is, but three weeks in, and I've I've literally lost 15 pounds. Wow. A lot of it is stress. That's great. Um, no, it's great though. Um, you know, just not rage eating croissants every day in my <laughs> office. Helps. Or joy eating croissants at night when <laughs> I'm home joy, from work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the last fast food, I don't know what it was, and I've never eaten these until about two years ago. I'm a sucker for a McChicken sandwich. It's because they're a dollar. Or like a, well, okay, like, so I had, so one day like I was like, buck. I'm going to splurge. And I got like a grilled chicken sandwich yeah, from yeah. there late at night. I was super excited because I was so hungry. It had a brioche bun. 
I literally took one bite and I was like, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what it was. The, the bread was so sweet and like it was oily. Very and processed. so I was like, I'm going to go back to the dollar McChickens. Yeah. And that was yeah. my, I think that was the last thing. I think I ate that in a fry probably. Uh, I always go back to this one line from the movie, This is the End. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes, yes. Where uh, I think Seth Rogen's talking to Jay Burrish and he's like, how much Taco Bell can you get for $20? And he's like, infinite. Infinite, <laughs> infinite Taco, Taco yeah. Bell. I think that's probably how I was as a kid. Like, I could eat like 17 tacos and they're all like a buck a piece. I'm like, yeah, just line them up in front of me. <laughs> so I still have like nostalgic like pangs every now and then. I'm like I'm gonna get myself a steak quesadilla but um but then there's that tortilla shortage so now I feel bad going to Taco Bell because I feel like I'm gonna I, I didn't know there was a you didn't tortilla. know, you know I, no one knew about this I recorded this, I recorded this two weeks ago apparently there's a huge national tortilla shortage and I, Taco Bell's in Yorkville and another one were not being able to sell like half their menu and people were mad on the internet people are always mad on the internet I mean <laughs> People choose to yell on the internet instead of deal with their own personal problems. You, I mean, we won't get into politics at all here. I'm going to ignore it. But I just wonder, are we ever going to be able to go back to a time when this wasn't the way social media worked? Is there going to be, is there possibly, it's going to be like this forever, I feel like now. Like, people will just get off social media after a while. I, I think there's a chance. I hope so. Because we're still in that age of, uh... We didn't grow, at least I didn't grow up, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 16, 17. 15, 16. It was a data phone, phone yeah. and I had like 25 text messages a you month. You weren't really allowed, no one was texting at that No, time. yeah. That was so, late era, that's smartphones. So, and I had a computer as a kid, but like it was dial up, like, you know, and yeah. as I got older, of course I got a laptop and everything, but it never was my centric thing, yeah. was to have tablets and blah, blah, blah. And, and then you see, like I see people come in to and just their kids sit on their phone and they don't talk at dinner time and like those things hurt hurt and so we're still in that phase where people haven't realized how bad it is yet I don't think and um, parents are using it as an excuse to like entertain children it's from an education standpoint I notice it in <clears throat> English classes when I'm mm-hmm. reading and you me read an essay that a kid gives me I'm like this is I mean, did you look at this can read this back to me and tell me what it says because I don't understand it you know what I mean like there's a it's because they're so used to talking in, like, shorthand conversations, little bursts, that, like, having to describe anything is, like, a struggle. Uh, the other one is having a conversation with a real human being. And I know that sound, that's, like, an old man take of the highest caliber, right? But it's something that scares me when I talk to my kids. I'm like, look, you are, like, the top five kids in your class. Like, you're one of the smartest kids I know, and you can't tell people that, that because you don't know how to talk to them about it. Like, how are you going to tell people they should hire you at a job if you are, like, looking down at the floor with your hands in your pockets, like, kicking rocks. You know what I mean? It's tough. Yeah. We have to sort of think about new ways to, like, prepare kids for the outside world. We we can't prepare anyone for the future anymore because I don't think we know what the future looks like. I agree. We have to prepare them to react to the present in the real world we live in. Like, become engaged in the community and in the city around them and in whatever it is that brings them satisfaction. Well, and it's, you know, (coughs) people talk about anxiety isn't real and all these things but and I'm one of those people I am one of the most anxious human beings so like you talk to me about it I'm like okay I'm I'm not going to argue with you but um but I do think social media is a huge part of that for a lot of people like you just sit and you dwell and if your phone's not going off like you know and that's something I am on social media like a lot less and like 
I care about it a lot less. Like I'll shut my phone yeah. off for a few hours and I won't look at it. And that's really cool with me. Um, but people need to learn how to do that and just like, it's okay. <laughs> I, it's happened less in my uh, 30s than it did in my mid to late 20s. Uh, but I, I feel like I was, a, I used to have a lot of panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, just too much. I'm freaking out, right? Yeah. And I think, I, I wonder if it's just getting, being more familiar with the triggers uh, to my anxiety. Yes. And finding ways, to, or I think too, when I was young, I went to therapy for like stuff like being depressed, my parents were divorced, all that kind of thing. And it does sort of, if you can sort of put a name and understand what is your issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I am depressed and these are the signs that I'm depressed. Well, I've been playing video games for nine and a half hours in a dark room and eating soda, uh, drinking soda and like, yeah. and eating chips, right? These are all depressive behaviors for me. Mm-hmm. It's up to me, though, to recognize these depressive behaviors and, and sort of take control of it and absolutely. not just lean into, like, well, I'm depressed. Ah. You mean, like... Don't always... Yeah, yeah, and, like, don't... I You don't always need med- to be medicated. Yes, it helps in some cir- certain stances. Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. I'm not against... I'm, I'm not against medicating people if they need help. But I also think it's reliant on You need to figure people. out what's going on before you deal, like, do take a route you need to really think about it and like understand oh, yeah. like the factors in your life because it will take you down though you know? well i think it's funny too like if you're depressed people would to when you go to the doctors they give you prozac right or whatever i don't know what i don't even know what you get for depression anymore i, I couldn't tell There's you sure. so many yeah stuff. a million things yeah like Xanax, whatever it is right uh i feel like i wonder is like if you go to the doctors you're like i'm depressed and give you xanax did your doctor ask you like what have you been doing do you mean it's not? I guess a yeah. doctor's not a psychiatrist, right? But like, have you done anything besides ask for help? But have you like tried to help yourself? I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't know. No, I don't it's want to true. get into a place where it's like people aren't helping themselves. But well, it's true. Like, you know, you people are upset about it's anything. You know, people are upset about their feelings and or being overweight or all these things. But you're right. Like, are you doing anything to stop it? Because if you just went it's for true. a, you know, like I know you don't want to work out, but just go for a walk and do something oh, healthy. Yeah. And like endorphins are crazy for the mental health yeah. and like all exactly. these things, like you need to take care of yourself to be happy. It is mm-hmm. important and you can't just live in your, your anxiety or stress or anything because you won't ever go anywhere and you won't be happy and that's not the point of life, so. So we're talking uh, food, wine, and mental health here with GFOP, <laughs> Alyssa Dibble here on the pod. Uh, before I let you uh, go, and again, thank you for coming in today. I appreciate you. Not a problem. Um, before I let you go, i got a couple of lightning round questions if you're ready to I always love to the do. lightning round. And again, because you've already been on the show before, I have different lightning round questions, but uh, two carry over. Uh, one, uh, listen, Dibble, if you had to find another line of work that wasn't in the restaurant field based on your own skills, what do you think you could do or what you'd like to do? As a chemist, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about going back into that industry potentially. Yeah. Um, thinking about doing a pharmaceutical research or something like that nice. again. We do have some uh, labs in Whitesboro. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I'm thinking about, you know, that's what I was... I mean, we never... <laughs> we always need chemists. Yeah, so <laughs> I have been thinking about doing that again yeah. and finishing my master's. So. You thought about education? I'm not a good teacher. No? I have a really hard time... You get frustrated easy? Yes. Yeah. I have a really hard time explaining to people how I figured it out. Um, yeah. No, I... I... Like, in for <laughs> yeah. me, you know, chemistry yeah, yeah, yeah. and math is different than educating food service to people. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, like, that, I'm a good teacher, but... 
Yeah, I can't really. I'm not very good at relating that to people. And uh, what is the uh, what is the most embarrassing phase you went through that you look back in your in your days in middle school and high school and college? Embarrassing phase. Were you an emo kid? Did you ever have the emo phase? I've never really had a stereotype. Like I've no? always just been like a ton of them and mm. not really specific and I was I, all of them I think I think I did yeah, everyone all over, I'm all over the place when like. people when people ask me like you know like what were, you, what were you like when you were a kid I tell them I was a collector I was like well I was a prep kid but then I stopped doing that but I still like the I still like the jeans do you know I mean like I was a punk kid uh but I moved on to that but I still like the t-shirts do you know what I mean like I still wear the high socks like you take a little bit of everything from what you like so I mean I guess it's not that embarrassing I'm kind of proud of it but like I have a really awesome rock collection I really like oh, rocks and rock collector and, like uh, fossils and such fossils yeah, yeah, yeah. rocks um I am trying to collect slowly like pure elements of the periodic sure. table um yeah, that's kind of my nerd thing that I've always... Sure. I wanted to be a geologist. I'd bring my bucket out in the creek and go do crazy things. And <laughs> So even though people don't do this anymore, uh, you might remember a time when this happened. What's a movie that you'll always stop and watch if you're flipping channels and you see that it's on TV? As a non-movie person... Like, you'd be appalled yeah, yeah, yeah. at the amount of movies. Hmm. I've been working on it, so I'm getting better. That's all right. I don't judge anybody for what they like. Um... I've always loved like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the Italian, yeah, yeah. the Italian yeah, yeah. job. Um, well, two thousands action. I yeah, like it. Yeah, little two thousand action <laughs> movies. They're just good. I, I love them. Do you like? Uh, do you watch any of the Fast and Furious movies? I've Those watched. Are... I've watched all of them except for the new ones. I guess there's a new one coming out even so, too. But I always, I've actually missed the last couple. Although I do. I do ride for the entire franchise. I mean, like Paul I respect Walker it. and Vin Diesel are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the fifth one where The Rock showed up. Uh, apparently now there's the Rock Jason Statham uh, spinoff movie that's coming off. With like, that's the one I was reading about. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure that movie, I, I'm sure that movie will be good. And if it. I went to see it, I'm sure I wouldn't need a ton of like, oh, did I miss anything from the other movies? I'm sure it's fine as yeah. a standalone oh, yeah. feature. <laughs> uh, I I feel like. Action movies are interesting, too, because I just, um, I feel like a lot of action on TV now is really good. Like, I just finished watching Stranger Things, and not to spoil any of it, like, some good action sequences in that show. It's just a television show. Um, I just watched, in four days, I watched all of Little Big Lies that is out there. You, uh, that was my next question. What book, uh, album, movie, or show are you watching, reading, or listening to? That. I assume Big Little Lies, right? Big yeah, Little yeah, yeah. Lies. I've seen I mean, your memes on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> So it's Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, um, Meryl Streep. Meryl year. Streep yeah. is that here this season. Um, the cast is amazing. Um, ben from Parks and Rec. Yeah, I yeah. don't know why that name is slipping me right now. Adam Scott. Adam Scott. Um, the cast is phenomenal. Oh yeah. Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman. I've fallen in love with them all over again. I love like, that Reese Witherspoon. Reese, she is a little pip make in that movie. She's gonna make it. I think she's, she's gonna do well for herself. The, the, she's like, I love my grudges. I tend to them like little pets, and I'm just like. <laughs> But it's super emotional and intense, yeah. the show. It goes through a lot of different things, and it's uh, the music is fantastic, yeah. the, the cinematography, so I, I really recommend that. I really respect what she's sort of done in the last, like, five, ten years, just sort of attaching herself to really interesting projects, mm-hmm. like doing that movie. Was it Wild, the movie where she was, like, the hiking movie? Yes. Uh, I, she's done some really interesting choices yes. for stuff. And I, I respect it. I mean, she could be doing just whatever she wanted, but she's choosing interesting work. Yeah, she's she yeah. seems like she's... 
really kind of happy with her life. Oh, and yeah. Like, like, just doing what she wants. It's and... funny, too, because you go back and look at, like, was it election, election was probably the first time that I saw her or anything? And she was, you, you knew she was going to be good. Like, and then she got to Elle Woods and it's crazy. <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama. So what's crazy about Legally Blonde, I think, oh, a cat is in the studio. Charlie, what are you doing? <laughs> um, with her, I think, I didn't see Legally Blonde because I, I was like a young dude that's like, I don't want to watch this movie. <laughs> it's wild to me how many people reference that movie and that character as being like this important like icon. And I guess I'm not giving this movie enough credit. For you what should it watch is. it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's one of those things like, yes, yeah, she wears pink and ha ha ha, but the the whole movie is great and it's yeah. not too much of a girly movie because mm. I'm not really a chick flick person per se, right. but. Um, but, like, it's the struggle of, you know, it's a pretty girl who is smart mm-hmm. and, like, proving to people what she can and can't do and what she's worth. And it's just, but it's also hilarious. Yeah. Like, and there are some, like, very goofy things in the movie. That, For sure. <clears throat> the bend and snap. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I've, I've heard of that reference to something. <laughs> All right, that's it. It's I'll pretty see. funny. Uh, and before I let you go, give me one more thing that you, Alyssa Dibble, are passionate about besides, of course, uh, food. Wine and, of course, mental health, since we talked about it already. Um, I'm really passionate right now. I mm. mean, I guess it's food, but I'm like starting to learn how to like grow things. Oh, like you're growing your own stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a black, yes, I've had a black thumb my whole life. Mm-hmm. So, I'm like really trying because yeah. I kill every plant yep. I get. Yep. Like, it's yep. so I have a bunch of herbs growing, I have mm. like cucumbers and peppers and all these things and like all these pots and, um, yeah. You know, I'll have to replant. And I'm, like, actually just trying to, like, learn how to grow. It's been mm. really fun, though. And you have land? No. Um, I mean, I have a, I have plenty of room in my apartment right now. They're yeah. hanging out somewhere so else in, in the sun. But farmland for that. <laughs> farmland. Well, yeah, I mean, if I ever wanted to do mass scale. But, but, no, it's just kind of fun to finally, like, try not to kill a plant and, like, have flowers. And, you know, like, I've been liking mm. just kind of learning about it reading about how to like cut yeah. cut your herbs to let them grow and you know, growing up i lived on like valentine bray which is like a couple streets up from where we are now mm-hmm. it's just in the suburbs we had a garden in my backyard like yeah. my dad kept and i wonder now if you like walked through all the backyards in this neighborhood like how many people are actively like gardening still i, want, I bet you the number's gone down it's, in the last it's a years. lost art yeah. for sure uh, Alyssa, this has been great. I appreciate you coming in, as always. Uh, I won't keep you... Yeah, we went 41 minutes. It's pretty good. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Told you you're a good talker. We'll be fine. Uh, no, I always appreciate you coming in. Uh, again, folks, go to uh, go to Modus. Get some lunch. I don't know the website. What's the website? Right now, we're only open for dinner. Right. So, Tuesday through Saturday, nice. um, come on in for dinner. Um, website is... I'll link everything if you might be Modus Utica. I got. Um, I'll pull it up on the thing. It's on yeah. my last uh, Facebook page, Instagram, all that. Yeah. Check it out. And go down to Genesee Street because I love the storefront. You guys did a great job. The patio is wonderful. So Come have a cocktail. You don't have to eat, <laughs> but we also want you to eat. Alyssa, I appreciate you coming in, and uh, as always, I appreciate your your candor. Well, thank you very much. We'll be back to the show in just a minute. Thank don't you. forget, Fogel. 
<laughs> Back to the show this week. Uh, listen, Dibble, thank you so much for coming in. Always a pleasure talking to her. Uh, always she, a good chat. Always a good chat. I would always appreciate when I was working at the bar when Alyssa would stop in. She was always good to hang out and talk and like always, always a good talk. Uh, I got to this week's history lessons and there's... Oh, a, sick. There's one... I actually, even before we started, I have a preemptive skip on one of these. We're going to get to it. I'm just going to skip it. Weirdly, it's not this one. Uh, on this day, 1099. That's right. You got that one right. 1099. Okay, 1099. Hit me with it. Uh, city of Jerusalem is captured and plundered by Christian forces during the First Crusade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian knights from Europe captured Jerusalem after several weeks of siege and began massacring the city's Muslim and Jewish population. In the 11th century, Christians in Jerusalem were increasingly persecuted by the city's Islamic rulers, especially when control of the holy city passed from the relatively tolerant Egyptians to the Turks in seven in 1071. That the great, Turks been wild for so long. Since 1071, the Turks have just been wild out here forever. <laughs> uh, the first Crusaders were actually undisciplined hordes of French and German peasants who met with little success. One group known as the People's Crusade reached out as far as Constantinople, which is now modern day Istanbul, uh, before being annihilated by Turks. Can't the Turks, man. Um, I guess. I mean, the Crusades are always one of those wild things. I feel like we sort of talk about them in history when you're, like, in high school. Like, I vaguely... You pass over them pretty briefly. Pretty briefly. Well, I think also, I think part of the reason you pass over them is because, like, you know, and it's not not to, like, to start or to take a side or any dumb stuff, because I think everybody just needs to, like, chill and sure. share the land. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But you pass over it specifically because, I mean, it makes the, the Christians and the Christianity at the time, um, like, there's a lot of really awful dark awful stuff, stuff they did back then. You know what dark I mean? Dark times. And, and that's just that's kind of one of the things so they pass it over because we were all taught you know even when you're in a public school like you live in the United States you're still taught everything through the lens of Western sure. Christendom so yeah. uh, I think they do kind of skip over some of the horrors of things like the Crusades Spanish Inquisition all that kind of stuff is that also why there's not like a preeminent like Crusades docu series tell you mean like is the people are people not into all the seediness that would come out if you did like a real there's like, only so much I feel like there's less interest now for people of historical um I feel like in like the last 20 years or so people have really knocked off like enjoying as much of like oh here's an ancient Roman story here's an ancient medieval story yeah I feel like medieval is not as big of a thing anymore no that's fair kind of like medieval and before and like ancient history what times I just think there's not too much of a market for it as a whole you think about tons of episodes of history that there's not um shows yeah. or movies about my new recurring segment why isn't there a movie about this I think there is wasn't there a shitty Antonio Banderas movie wasn't 13th Warrior about uh, the Crusades buddy. that was Michael Crichton wasn't it uh Years of the Dead could I, I look that one up? I'll have you to find can, out. You can say anything sure. right now, and I will believe you because let's, I don't even know what that is. Let's move on to a movie. Uh, yeah, thirteen warriors with Antonio Banderas. So let's, let's move on to a movie that people actually recognize, and a movie that we've talked about multiple times on this show. So I'm going to move quickly through it, and we'll do something different this week. On this day, 1988, uh, Bruce Willis, starring Die Hard, uh, starring uh, sorry, Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, is released in the United States. Uh, made for $28 million, it grossed over $140 million, uh, turned Willis into an action star, and became a metonym for an action film in which a lone hero fights overwhelming odds. Uh, the film created the Die Hard franchise, a number of video games, comic books, and in 2017 was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. Uh, it also established a common formula for action movies over the next decade, featuring a lone everyman against a colorful terrorist in an isolated setting. Uh, die Hard on a Plane, or Die Hard on a Blank. Like, that's a thing, right? You mean, yeah, Under yeah. Siege, Die Hard on a Battleship, Passenger 57, mm-hmm. Die Hard on a Plane, Speed, Die Hard on a Bus. Air Force One, Die Air Hard Force when One. you're the president. Die Hard, yeah, <laughs> President Die Hard. 
this trend continued up until movies like The Rock in 1996. Yo, which can is, we just spend the rest of the show talking about The Rock? Criminally underrated action Unbelievable movie. Unbelievable yeah. movie. Uh, which sort we of talks about Con Air. They're on our mind. And then also, I mean, The Matrix we talked about a lot. That's a big one because it sort of moved to like the CGI sort of... Yeah, computer, yeah. future, tech. Um, this is Alan Rickman's first film role. Uh, he played, of course, Hans Gruber, one of my favorite actual character performances movies in any movie ever he's really great in this movie mm-hmm. uh there's a sequence in the movie where he's talking to bruce willis and pretending to be american you know what i'm talking about where he's like it's bruce willis finds him and he pretends to be american sure and they have that whole great hostage sequence they that movie was only added in when they found out that he could do like a really convincing american accent. So they sort mm-hmm. of wrote that on the spot uh, this got me wondering, and uh, this is the second of three times tonight that we will steal... The first of three times tonight we'll steal content from other platforms. Uh, were, is this Bruce Willis's apex mountain as an actor? Is Die Hard the top Bruce Willis movie? And I have his filmography up here that I could briefly yeah. run through some of the hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah All right. nothing, yeah, 100%. All right, Die Hard, 88, right? Yeah, Die Hard. So, no... Like, I'm going to run through it quick. Look who's talking, obviously no. Oh. Uh, Hudson nope. Hawk, no. Nope. Uh, Pulp nope. Fiction? No. He had, he's, I guess not. Uh, no, no, Pulp too many other pe- no, there's too many other people. Uh, Twelve Monkeys? No. no. Fifth Element? No, what? Uh, Armageddon? No. Uh, what about Sixth Sense? Sixth Sense is a big one. Yeah, but no. So you think, di- so still Die Hard over well, all these right bro, now. Bro, when you think of Bruce Willis, you're not thinking of the Sixth Sense. See, there's anything later on than this. Nope. You get down to Unbreakable, like, no. Unbreakable. That's the Expendables. What about no. sixteen blocks. That was a good one. You ever saw Ross's perspective, father-in-law and friends. No. Uh, oh, the Jackal. No. <laughs> like, he's in Moonrise Kingdom. He's not really in that movie. In the yeah, same but way. like again, he's like a little bit play. So he's an ensemble guy. I guess. All right. I guess reach out to us if you think that there's any argument besides that. I guess you're right. 100%. It really is the movie. There is no argument. Is it weird that your first like big thing is your Apex movie? Like they made more Die Hard movies. Did you mean like? Yeah, right. But those are sequels, so they can yeah. never they can never hit the same. It's not that weird. That happens for some guys. Yeah, I don't know. You take Bruce Willis. He seems like he's got a pretty good filmography. I would take anybody's career. Anybody because I have none. Like I have no movie career. So yeah, I'd take it. I would be take his? for Grace. What about him care. versus Pitt? Pitt's got a better career, right? Yeah, Pitt did better oh than he did. God, yeah. Topher Grace did Ten worse than him. Yeah, but Topher Grace is cashing those syndication checks. It's Topher got, Grace is chilling. He did have a TV show. He yeah. had Moonlighting, which was on for a significant sure. amount of time. But I don't and know. And he's, he's been in a couple movie. things here and there. Yeah. Had some roles. He was in Black Mirror. People like it's him. True. Grace but no, has he's cashing that 70s, 70s show. Think yeah. about it. You turn on. I, I would imagine if you if I had cable, you could flip <laughs> through the channels and you would find reruns it's, of that 70s show. It's on free cable sometimes. It's on the Laugh Network. That's what I'm saying. He's getting those checks. <laughs> the Laugh Network checks. He's getting a percentage off Send that. He out. just gets a check for as long as oh. that show gets streamed on Netflix. Eric Foreman's eaten. Uh, let's move on to this day. 1994, uh, Kiss from Rose by Seal is released. It would go on to become mm. the Grammy record and song of the year. Uh, most famously, though, included in the Batman Forever soundtrack, which helped to mm-hmm. uh, top the charts in the U.S. and Australia. Uh, it was written in 1987 and released years prior to his solo album, which came out in 1991. He wrote the song, was sort of embarrassed by it, and just sort of threw it in a corner. It's a silly song. Is it a silly song? Is oh yeah, hundred percent. Is it a good song? Don't try to re. Don't try to re. Post ironically. Is it a good song though? No, I mean, do you well, like the song when no. you hear it? No, you don't like no. it. I kind of like it. Well, that's <laughs> a good song. You're soft as a child. Uh, so, this it won Song of the Year, and if you're curious what that means, it means it is 
the award for the best single or individual track that was released that year. Okay, These, it was a huge song. It was a really huge song. It was song. a huge song. Um, yeah. So if you're thinking about just the individual song of the year, these were the other four candidates. Okay. Could you make a case for either of these other four is better than Kiss from a Rose? One of us. Better by, or more deserving of Better song of or the more, year. let's say more deserving, we'll call it. One of us by Joan Osborne. What if God was, was one of one us? Of us. Just yeah. a slob like one of us. Right. Just a stranger. Just trying to make his way home on a train. Trying to make his way home on a bus yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so no, no on this one? Nah, can't, How about, can't do it. I can love you like that. Yo. I can make uh, you my world. Yeah, all for one. That's a all good one. All for one, yeah. That hangs in. Secondary all for one hit, because uh, the, the big one was I Swear. That's the one that everybody I remembers. Swear. That's a good one, too. Yeah, but I can love you like that See, is better. I got to sing at a wedding this weekend coming up. And, oh, do you? Oh, please. We'll oh, talk, boy. Man. Oh, boy. And why aren't we doing songs like this? Cousin Joe, you couldn't have picked, like, I can love you like that. Or, or not one of us. I wouldn't want that one. But, like, mm-hmm. give me I Can Love You Like That. That's a good wedding song to sing. I gotta sing, like, some Josh. You gotta Brown listen songs. to it, though. I don't remember what it says in the verses. Like, they might be saying some weird stuff. That's true. You never know. It's a jam, though. What do you have to sing? I gotta sing a Josh Groban song called You Raise Me Up. And, oh, oh boy. Mm. Boy, oh, boy, yeah. Tough. I'm gonna be hurting. I've been doing a little work on the side about it, and it's not I, great. I can imagine. That's like a... Uh, that's that's a, like a... That's a performance. I just, <laughs> We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, what are the songs for uh, song of the year? What year was this? 94? 96. 96. You and I alone. I don't. Just tell me what's the name of the song. The, <laughs> the Sorry version of Michael Jackson's You Are Not Alone. Uh, oh, Which no. is not a great Michael Jackson oh, no. song. That was that for everybody who might not remember. That's the one where he was like shirtless in the theater with nude Lisa Marie Presley. <laughs> yes. With the short hair. They were With his shirt open, like trying to be like power sex dude when it's like, mm. bro, you look like a... Yeah. No. <laughs> Weird time. You look like a no. And then uh, You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette, which Ooh, is... A little bit too... A little bit too much to uh, be song of the year. Way better. Jagged I listened to this song a hundred times before I listened to... It's important to note, Jagged Little Pill did win Album of the Year in 96. Yeah. So why this yeah, song yeah. did not win, and I do think this song holds up in hindsight better... Then Kiss from a Rose, like when I hear it, I'm more excited to hear You Ought to Know. But if you had told me Ironic, I would have said Ironic over Kiss from a Rose. Yeah, yeah, maybe, so. yeah. Uh, and then it also won Record of the Year. Now, what's the difference between Record of the Year and Single of the Year? Uh, it is awarded for the single on one track of an album. This award goes to the performing artist, the producer, record engineer, and mixer for the song. In this sense, Record means a particular recorded song, not its composition or its album of songs. I don't know why that's different than Song of the Year. I it, Even with the descriptions, I'm having a hard time with it. Uh-huh. Uh, but these are the songs that beat out for Record of the Year. Are you ready? One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men, which I, I don't really remember that one. I do. Is that a good one? It's. I mean, it's, it's like what was very popular at the time, similar to Kiss from a Rose. It's like a really sappy sentimental r&b ballad so it depends how much mileage you get out of that a lot of great singers in boys to men it's a nice well-composed song but it's from a time and place for sure uh one of us by joan osborne again right closed out nominated but not uh not winning on either of these cool song though uh, Gangster's Paradise by Coolio, yeah. which was at my time, to- at the time, my That seminal- was my song in was- 1996. <laughs> yeah. I remember forcing my mom, <laughs> yes. like, begging my mom to buy me the Dangerous Mind soundtrack just for that song. And then, like, great. Till like, years later, I didn't get, like, a lot of the other stuff on it. That great, great choral backline in the intro, that, whole thing. It's so cool. It's like, oh, yeah. A lot of cool stuff Dug going that. on. And then the Coolio, other one. not so cool. 
Yeah, but this is Apex Mountain for Coolio for sure. Like Ten billion percent. Thousand percent. Ten billion percent. And uh, last but not least is the this one is the other interesting one is Waterfalls by TLC, which Ooh. I think if you go back and give this one again, like five years, ten years Ooh. later, yeah, yeah. probably Waterfalls. Waterfalls, right? yeah. I would put I would put Waterfalls on over everything on that list. Everything on the list so far, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the one that I think in hindsight you look back, you're like, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, all right, this is the the automatic skip this week, uh, 2012. Uh, Kim Jong Un is officially Brody appointed. Automatic skip if you're gonna do it. Well, just the title. <laughs> okay. uh, is officially appointed Supreme Leader of North Korea, given the rank of Marshal in the Korea's People Army. Ugh. I mean, I, I'm not going into the details in this one. It's fine. We'll, Good. It's a hard skip. Good. Look it up if you want. But it happened on this day in 2012. And uh, I guess we'll just preface this one because we are going to do a, well, a section I'm calling Spoiler Things at the very end of the podcast. Spoiler can, Things. Yeah. Uh, but on this day, 2000, uh, oh, sorry, 2016, uh, the first season of Stranger Things debuted on Netflix, starring Owen Ryder, David Harvey, and mm-hmm. Millie Bobby Brown. You could put all the people's name on there, but those are the three I just chose to put. 2016, also interesting that Stranger Things debuted that year because that was the year that we all entered the Upside Down together. Yes, it's where true. Where we continue to live. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the Duffer Brothers, who developed the series, uh, developed the series as a mix of investigative drama alongside supernatural elements portrayed with childlike sensibilities. Uh, they set the series in the 80s and created an homage to pop culture of the decade. Uh, themes and aesthetics from directors like Steven Spielberg, John Carpenter, Stephen King, which uh, this season, which we'll get into later, I think felt a lot more in the John Carpenter vein than it did like the Steve, uh, Stephen, the Stephen King vein. I felt like the horror was a little more... I didn't really catch any Stephen King vein. I, Stephen yeah. King is more from the way the stories are written and characters are presented yeah. and ideas like... Stranger Things was like the idealized version of what Stephen King should look like on the screen, so I get it yeah. from that angle, but yeah. I never watched him like, oh, Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, but Spielberg, yeah, they, well, they definitely they added a lot more creature stuff this yeah. time through. So uh, For the third season, uh, Netflix revealed the show has broken viewing records with Netflix with 40.7 million households having watched the show in the first four days and 18.2 million already have watching the entire series within that mm-hmm. thing. So uh, we'll, do, uh, we'll do more on Stranger Things to close out uh, the show because I don't want to I don't want to hit spoilers because we're still like in that week and a half two week period where yeah for sure grace period grace period plus I don't know if Heather's watched it so we can talk about it without her and then we don't have to worry about offending her sensibilities about it so sure uh, all right is there any oh yeah I guess I had two quick uh, blog questions for you uh, this one is out again in in honor of your brother Andy Sullivan uh, shout out mm-hmm. to the newest dad. Uh, what are the most dad shoes available on Those the market? Those white New Balances. The white New Balance. Yeah. Even more than like the Birkenstock or yeah, like course. the Tiva Sand. What about like a Morel shoe? 100%. The white New 100%. Balance. McGarry's full of it. It's the white New Balances. The white New Balance. White New Balance. Nothing's even close. What is it, what is it about a white athletic sneaker? My dad has like the white Nike version of those. Because well, it was the choice. Black? Yeah. What's wrong with black? You get dirtier faster? I guess white No, gets, white certainly gets dirtier, dirtier faster. Fast. Yeah. But it, they make even less black, and even for like old dudes, like black is kind of extreme. I have one white pair of sneakers. I have that white pair of Nikes with the the gold uh-huh. swoosh on it. Even that seems very bold. Like a white sneaker seems very bold when you wear it out in public, especially if it's like bright white. I feel like um, it's it's a certain type of aesthetic because like a lot of people wear white. People love white sneakers. I got a pair of those white Converse. I mean, they're pretty beat. You know what I mean? They're, you yeah. can no longer call them fully well, white. White Converse like, is also a particular look as well, opposed so, but to Well, same a, thing with white Vans. Same thing with white... Um, I feel like I'm going to keep wearing Vans even when I'm older. Like, I just like Yeah, the, Vans, Vans are a good old guy shoe. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, but you're going to do that because like, you grew up with that. You had that option. Your 60-year-old parents aren't switching to Vans. Is your brother going to buy a pair of... My brother already wears dad shoes. Dad shoes? <laughs> yeah, my brother... No, my, my brother loves... Dad he, shoes are cool now. He loves a boat shoe. 
A boat shoe. You know what I mean? He loves a boat shoe. He loves an Air Max. He loves a, you know, a, a tasteful boot. I'm a little up and down on the boat shoes. So. I don't, boat shoes aren't, I can't, boat shoes aren't for me. It's just nothing yeah. in my aesthetic is really boat shoey. Like, I'm not ever, I can't, if I'm I was, not preppy enough for boat shoes. I'm not on boats enough for boat, I'm, I want to wear socks. If I were going to get a I'm not trying to not wear socks. I'm trying to sometimes not wear socks. Ugh. It's hot out. Uh, How hot? Hot enough. Ooh, Death Valley, they're like, oh, I got these uh, socks on and I can't I, live. If I was going to wear boat shoes now, I have like a nice a dress pair of boat shoes, if you will, and uh, like a Vans X boat shoe yeah, crossover. I can see them coming yeah. in handy. I feel like if I had a pair of boat shoes, I'd bust them out like four times a year. I want like the leather pair, though, like the brown leather yeah, classics. That's what you want. You yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, dad shoes. And the other one is, um, oh, God, where did it go? I lost it. Is it gone? It's gone forever. Oh. Um... Is there ever a, this is a restaurant question? Uh-huh. Uh, is there ever a point in a restaurant when uh, you feel like you have to say something to a customer, even if it's destructive to your job? Like if someone's saying some negative, if you're like, a, I guess it's a politics question, right? You can't talk politics to people as a waiter. It's a diplomacy question. Diplomacy question, right? That's what you mean. Is there a, a point where someone could say something where you have to say something that offends you so much, or is it just a do your job type situation as you're a waiter? Like as you a mean, waiter, do you mean as like as somebody where like I'm just some waiter who works at this restaurant and overhear somebody at a different table saying something? If someone at your table is having a conversation that you find like abhorrent, is it more just like a just do your job situation? Is there a situation where it can get beyond that? Uh, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I'm a little bit different because I'm always um, pretty ready to. Boy, it sounds bad if I say air somebody out because I don't mean I, like I don't. Right, you know right, me; I don't right. lose my temper. I don't like, get yelling, but like I've got no problem letting well, someone's asking for it. Do you well, mean? but and even and even still, like it's few and far between. But I've got no problem letting somebody know what time it is. I'm not super shy about that, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty trustful in my own personal diplomacy skills that I can have that conversation to stop the problem at the table without being openly disrespectful, hostile, or escalating the situation. Explain myself to whoever my management is to enough a degree. And then secure enough of myself that even this whole thing blows up and I get fired, I can go make money at a table or yeah. a bar somewhere else. You know what I mean? It's not like you have this like high level job that oh, if I lose this job, I'm screwed. Like, listen, if I'm just waiting tables, if I'm just bartending, like I've had it happen. Certainly, bartending. There have been times where I'm like, yo, you got to stop that. You keep talking like, especially you'll hear people get into like racial stuff. If you're yeah. into racial stuff and you're dropping specific yeah. words loudly, or if you're being like just really crass and vulgar. If you're being really crass and vulgar, like, hey, you, gotta, you know, you've got a quiet time. we got this stuff going on. I understand. Like, hey, nothing. Just, if you're getting into some racial stuff, I'll pull you right out. Like, you got to go. Yeah. When I was you working, go. the only time I ever did anything like that, where, well, the only time it's ever really been to a situation where I felt like I had to go to that place, mm-hmm. um, I was working, uh, I was dropping food. I was doing running food at the restaurant mm-hmm. I used to work at. And running means you just drop food at the table and serve it out. Right? Yeah, yeah. You don't take the order. But I happened to be out there when the guy who I was running for was taking the order from the mm-hmm. table. And the guy... Were you, you running apps then, probably? He was picking apps and food, right? And I, and I was running... The way our restaurant worked is you would bring the food to the table, serve it out, take their plates back, right? So the guy would come... Uh, your server would uh, take your order and your drinks. Hmm. And then once the order's in the kitchen, we'd bring the food up and serve it out and bring it back. Right. Yeah. So I was there standing by the, the drink table, like pouring drinks for somebody, uh-huh. as, the guy was t- as my waiter was taking this guy's order. Sure. And he used a derogatory term for a person with like mental handicaps. Like, oh, I see. He called him the you know, the, the the big one, right? Sure. Like real out loud, because he screwed something up when reading like his order back to him. Mm. And I was just like, and it, and it was a guy I knew who was like sensitive about 
you know, being like in public in person. He's not like super social, right? Yeah. And I know it was like a tough night. And he was busy and all for sure, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, man. And I was getting to the end of my shift, right? Mm-hmm. So my shift is ending in the next five minutes. I still am like wearing my outfit. I brought the food up to the table after I clocked out and just like dropped it on the table so that it like got all over yeah, the yeah, counter. Yeah. And the guy was so mad. And I was like, I'm off the clock, bro. If you want to talk to me about it, come outside. Damn. <laughs> I was like, I was just so like, really like passive aggressive aggressive. I was just like, whatever, it. man. Like I didn't appreciate no, that I hear sort you. of like we're a team. And I, I feel know, like, like yeah. I'm, I, I, I talk a lot about restaurants this episode. So I mean, I've worked restaurants a lot. I'll talk about yeah, restaurants yeah. anytime you want. Um, I think for for me, I was given I was given a gift uh, by a lot of members of my family growing up, but specifically my mother, who was very talented in. Um, I'm good at scolding somebody and not in a way that I'm being hostile, being mean. I don't call people names. I'm really good at making people feel mm. like bad and yeah. ashamed. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Shame. Like being like. Like, or something there, but like, come on, man. Not there's bad, no, there's no reason. Like, it just happens. It's not that serious. <laughs> then make a joke, diffuse it, get the rest of the table laughing at the bat. That's always the trick. If you got one person at a table acting real wild and uppity, you win the rest of the table over because they're mm. already probably sick of that person's shit anyway. Mm. So you win them over and you get them all laughing at the one person. You neutralize that person. They have no power anymore in the situation. But yes, I mean sometimes you got to step up and say something, yeah. you know. And it's and everybody has got its judgment. Like there'd be times where tables were acting a certain way, and I have like some. Poor, like, little girl who had them at the table who was, like, real young, really inexperienced with it, and, like, I don't know what to do. Like, these, this table full of these guys are being, like, mm-hmm. you know, being, like, gross to me or something like that. Yeah. Like, I'll take the table. Don't worry about it. You know, I'll take the table. I'll give you the tip afterwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't care one little bit. I'll come right over. You know what I mean? And if the guys ask me why the girl's not their waitress anymore, we'll let them know. I mean, yeah. we'll let them know. Taste, you know, respectfully to whatever degree and, you know, with a little bit of tact, but can't tolerate that type of stuff i it's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world when people treat service workers poorly oh, or yeah. people act inappropriately in places like that well there's an entitlement too it comes to it comes across when yeah. you do that to people anybody right? who ever yeah. tells you i'm a paying customer customer's always right i know some of the worst people I'll tell you right there. now there's a lot customers of customers rarely right rarely know what customers about. rarely right i can say uh, that uh so we didn't talk about it but are you sad that the blink 82 little wayne joint concert is going to be no more that little wayne didn't think his fans were coming out enough to no not even a little bit of course his fans i don't know what they thought was going to happen uh we also didn't talk about woodstock 50 apparently not off again woodstock 50 off again at vernon downs uh it's going to be a handshake city woodstock Yo, 50. woodstock 50 handshake city i saw somebody make that joke on the internet trying to be like snarky yeah and then everybody else is just like oh that would be cool they're really nice for everybody in the community and like wouldn't that be fun somebody was trying to get like I mean, somebody was trying to get snotty like oh why don't they just do it down at Handshake City and we take like, them yo Parkinson would it's take like, it it's like what yeah oh cool yeah why don't you do it down at this park that we built like you bum who can't book stand up shows Is somebody I know uh peripherally it's not, I mean oh. when I when I tell you the name you're gonna be like oh really yeah well hey, no, listen, nobody who we would ever really consider a friend of the cause hey listen I would love to have it down at Handshake City but you know yeah, what yeah. there's definitely uh not enough parking down there to facilitate all that people. You know how we feel about parking in the city. So, oh. You know, it's a parking sure. joke, whatever. Parking. Uh, anyway, all right. Not enough parking, too much Parkinson. <laughs> I feel like that's... All right, let's move on to... Uh, I guess, so if you did not watch the uh, full season of Stranger Things, uh, you can... Yeah, I just finished it last night, so get the hell out of here because we're doing spoilers. Yeah, be aware that this is from now on, right now. If you haven't watched the show and you don't want it spoiled, um, stop right here. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next yeah. week. Keep it tight. Tape machines rolling. Woodstock yeah, yeah. lives. All that stuff. Uh, pretty good, actually. Hey, I'm here every week. <laughs> Unlike Heather. Hey, <laughs> oh, all right. So there you go. Thank you for everybody who joined us. Uh, if you're Just still kidding, here, Heather, I love you the best. Yeah. 
If you are still here as of now, okay, so we are here. Spoiler things. Spoiler Play things. Music. Play that synth music. Do it. I'll just leave a space. I don't know if I have it on track okay. somewhere. I'll find uh-huh. it. It's fine. We'll find right. a way to do it. Okay. Uh, so, spoiler fine. things. I do love the music still. I Although, been ready if I, I found myself. I skipped the music the whole time, actually. Well, now, yeah, because now it's I the do. same. But I found, like, somebody somewhere on Reddit, I found, like, some really interesting, like, dark, dark wave and, like, dark synth, uh, all this kind of music <laughs> playlist. Yeah. I've been driving around a little bit at night listening to, like, this, like, really dark synth wave stuff music. And I'm, I don't know. I'm here um, for it. I mean, if you, I mean, to get right off the bat, we talked about John Carpenter a little bit. Like, I love John Carpenter. I love John Carpenter's The Thing. You would love, have you listened to the new John Carpenter score for Halloween? The update no, score? not yet. He basically just went and ran it all back with new synths, and yeah. it's... It's pretty killer. That movie you, would, was, you would love that it. That movie was on HBO as I was packing Saw up that. in a hotel Saw a couple that. weeks ago. And I watched the first 10 minutes of it and Ooh. I had to turn it off because I was getting invested and I had to go. Right? Yeah, you like, would have. Yeah. That's, uh, that's got to be one if we watch it here at the house. We got to do it when there's no riffraff around. The cinematography. No inter... Yeah, oh, yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna enjoy that. one. All right, well, let's get back into Stranger Things. So what I did so here, Halloween the remake. Um, <laughs> I found uh, an exit survey that the Ringer did on this because they love pop culture, and I thought this was a good way for us to run through the season and keep it in some context. So exit survey, all right. Yeah. So uh, your first one is uh, their question is what was your tweet length review of Stranger Things season three? Um, I would and I can start on this one. I I very much enjoyed it, but it felt a little bit more of the same. Even though I thought there were some interesting additions. How many characters is that? It's close. How many characters? 140? I don't know. How many characters? Um, and, and you want mine, I'd assume. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, it was great. If you like Stranger Things, you're going to love it. Yeah, that's fair. I, you know you what think, I mean? Yeah, it's true. I think it's one of those Marvel type things where if you're not in already, are people just jumping in for three? It's already sort no. of a cultural... Like no, lexicon. It, it would be weird to just jump in for three. Yeah. Uh, so let's move to the next one. What was your best actual per- singular moment for the season for you? Um, The best singular moment of the season. Give me yours and let me think about it for a second. So I have a couple that come to mind. I okay. thought it's a weird, interesting moment that I sort of remember. I thought it was really well nuanced. And well done. Some really mm-hmm. interesting single moments in this series that I liked, if not everything, all cohesively. Mm-hmm. The sequence where uh, the boys are talking about Dungeons and Dragons, and he is and Will is really like going all out to try and get them to play Dungeons and Dragons, and they're just not feeling it. The other two kids. That was a really nuanced take on like adolescence and growing up that I was very impressed with. Well, especially especially the idea of like you know because when you're at that age, it's weird because not everybody develops everything at yeah. the same time. And you forget about it now because we're so far removed. But and I don't even remember like what side I was on or what it was like when I was that age. But I do know that, like, you'll get to that age where, like, some of your friends are, like, all about, like, hanging out with girls. And you're like, damn, man, like, I want to go, like, ride bikes and play in the woods. Yeah. But then some of the kids in the group will be like, oh, well, we're going over to, like, so-and-so, whatever girl's house, we're hanging out, and you can't come because, like, we're hanging out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that kind of thing. So I think you're right about that. I think that was pretty pretty well done. What about you? Best part for you? Uh, the best singular moment was probably at the mall when they all reconnected. The first yeah. time you had every all the portals open, you hear on your right, everybody's yeah, yeah. like everybody's <laughs> yeah. right there and like for the sure. first time everybody meets up in the mall and you know, everything's happening right there after like that big fight with the monster and the yeah. whole crew gets together and touches base. That singularly that was probably the best moment. Uh, what would you say was your least favorite part of the season? This is a tough one. Um, I've seen a couple takes on here. I and I think it's fair. Will, although I love that sequence from 
from him like having that moment with the boys. It was about his only moment. It is kind of they're still not really sure what to do. I also think there's something. Well, because Will that, was like gone for the formation, yeah. like the foundational season. Will was just gone. He's basically the the uh, alarm that the mind flayer is here. He's like the first line of like, oh, here's my neck. I gotta touch my neck because something's close, right? I feel like that's. Well, just the whole, like, Sarah stands up and thinks, you know, something's going on. Like, I feel that presence that entered me in the first season that I still carry with me. Um, did you, did, what did you think about the Russian storyline? I was, if you, if you had asked me what, what I thought was the worst part, I would probably tell you right. some conglomeration of the Russians. I thought a lot of it was good, but a lot of it was also, especially because, like, when it plays to the 80s and, like, that Very specific powerful. dichotomy of, like, yeah. Cold War and stuff, um... But it was just, like, a lot of everything going on, and, like, there's this base, and it's this whole thing, yeah. and, like, I don't, but you can't, you don't really know what's happening, you don't really know who, what is, and it's just sort of like, ah, the Russians are here, who knows, crazy Russians, like, if you're gonna, you know what it reminded me of, actually? The Russian stuff reminded me of uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, where there were just too many villains, too yes. much stuff. Yeah. You can't give me Sandman if you're also gonna try to do Venom. They... <clears throat> Again, they really tied into the 80s-ness of it. I actually liked some of it, like the truth serum sequence. I thought it was really it was great. Yeah, with the scary doctor and idea, the assassin and the, yeah, the scientist all... guy. But then when they've got this whole like military base underground yeah. that's like accessible through the they ice cream shop. It's a They could have gotten a bit darker, and I'm glad they didn't. Like it could have very much been like we're just gonna kill and torture Steve and Robin down here, and, For like, sure, and they yeah. didn't go there, and they played it. You can't really in you that can't, show. No. Yeah, you can't. That's a little too. Um, that's too gruesome. Who's your MVP of the season? Um, your most valuable player. I mean, honestly, MVPs in this show are, are standard and easy because it's always the same people. It's yeah. always. Like Eleven, Steve, and the Sheriff. I find Eleven to Hopper, be tough you know for me, mean? actually. I think, really? Yeah, I think that... And we'll get into it, too, when we get there, but I always felt like the powers, the 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 Professor X, like, mutant powers that she's got mm-hmm. to, like, stop all the problems becomes an easy out for storytelling, right? Like, it's always just, I can show up and wave my hand and pick up the monster and save so everybody. You can't though, she lost him and like right. the powers and, are starting to fade and as that her could, body changed. And that could have been something I could have added to what my favorite part. Of, I liked that part of the storyline, like separating her from the thing that. Well, I think I th- and I think that's why they sort of turned that expectation on its head. And like, because in the beginning, in the first yeah. half of the season, it was very much her just like booming her powers all yeah. over. And so the story they told in this season was a story of her yeah. losing some of that. I mean, I think she's the axis upon which the entire show spins. Yes. If you don't have her, you don't have the show full stop. Would you, you couldn't argue that Hopper is not the thing that people like the most, I feel like, though? like he... Hopper is the most memeable, for sure, yeah. yeah. Hopper, Hopper is definitely the most meme-worthy, and, you know... Shout out um, to Robin and Steve, though, I think, who did a really good job, both individually and together this year. I really, I like her more than I think a lot of people do. I think she's getting, like... I thought she was very good, yeah. yeah. I think she suffers a little bit from... When I was watching the show, she looks too much like a mixture of Nancy and uh, Winona Ryder. Yeah. She looks too similar to them, to the point where, like, it doesn't... Her, her like, visual on page, yeah. so to speak... Mm isn't, like, different enough for her to be more singular, but she did do a great job. I feel like she'd be the person I would have been friends with of all these people in real life if these people existed. Like, I don't think Steve's my buddy. children. 
Right. Well, certainly. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't think Nancy and Jonathan are hanging out with me. I don't really care. Oh, Jonathan, hang out with Jonathan, Jonathan. Would be your guy. Nah, I'm not. Yeah, a fan Jonathan of would be your guy. My, he's my LVP. If you want to get to that point, he's my least favorite. I thought. I'd, so, if, but what I was gonna say before, when I was saying the thing, like, you know, MVP, the conversation for MVPs is like it's very obvious, you know, who these yeah. couple people are. So to speak of like a a six man of the year or like an under you know underrated MVP, mm-hmm. I loved Carrie Ellis as the as really the good. sleazy mayor. And I was kind of sad that he didn't get enough to do later on. Mm-hmm. It's just like that Spider-Man 3 thing. Like, there's so many different villains. Like, give me more of Carrie Elwes being this, like, gross, awful mayor yeah. guy. Then I don't need that could instead you, of, like, 50 faceless Russians. You could know you I mean? have used a little more of Billy pre-taken yeah. over by the Mind Flayer? I think they In some way, yeah. yeah. Billy really just sort of... Billy kind of went nowhere. Even though he was a central figure, Billy kind of went nowhere. I forget who told me this take, but the, the sequence at the end where... He, him and Max are having their, like, uh, brother-sister dichotomy where she's like, you can, you know, and he's, that whole thing. That would have been more, better what served. What thing? She she knew he was evil, but she's still her brother, and she's conflicted about what they're supposed to do. Yeah, the and then he just tossed her to the moon. Yeah. Immediately. I think that it would have been well served to have a sequence with them together before he gets taken over, to see where their relationship yes. is. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. it. But I guess if you're only going to do like eight episodes or whatever, he's got. Sure. If he's the the central crux of telling the story yeah. of like the body snatchers vibe, he's got to get taken early. But I do agree. I would like to have seen more with him because I thought he was a great character in the yeah. second season, yeah. and I would like to have seen more opportunities for him to do something besides stand there mute, looking scary. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, or like uh, saying some cryptic shit from the hive mind. Yeah. Uh, best eighties reference of the season. Uh, I I talked about it with you when I first started watching. I thought they really leaned into the body horror aspect of the show a lot this year. Yeah, I don't uh, think that's not like an eighties reference. That's kind of it reminded the eighties, but it reminded me a lot of like John Carpenter's specific Carpenter's movies the thing. you like from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was getting a lot of that sort of body horror vibe from that era, like the video drones and the uh, the things of the world and those yeah. kind of movies. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought the music was all very good. The music good. in the mall. The music the in the mall. The mall, really. The mall is mall, the whole... We were in, like, 90s mall culture, but it still sort of felt like something that we could recognize, even yeah, being well, a little we bit. Were, cause yeah, because we were coming off that culture, too, because a lot of the stuff we were watching was... You know, there's a lot of times TV writing writes about stuff that's been happening the last five or six years. So, like, in our, some of the early shows we came on to, the mall was referenced in the way that, like, it you know felt for these people in the mid-'80s. So, I think, yeah, the, the setting of the mall as a whole... Yeah. Was probably the most 80s things that, and again, like you said, always the music. You know what I mean? Uh, next one. Why are the Byers family the only people who've left Hawkins? There's crazy stuff going on here for many, for years now. What's not happening to their kids? <laughs> well, the only 30 ones people no. died in this one. This is a big one. I'm surprised more yeah, people are. But what what happened for the people to die? What was it? Like, there was like a. Would they play it off as, like, there was a fire at the mall? A fire at the mall. Yeah, they play right. it off. A big disaster. Nobody knows because the Byers family is the only family that knows about the mm. damn monsters. Yeah. That's not like I've seen a lot of people saying that, and it's like that's what a crap take that is. Nobody knows. Yeah, and yeah, maybe they should know, but they don't. I'm gonna skip past the question: What are the Russians trying to do to the Upside Down? It seems like we're just conjecture. <laughs> Hell yeah. knows. Uh, let's move to the important one: Is Hopper alive? We both seem to agree uh, that he is alive. Probably. I've seen this take already. We're not breaking new ground. Will it hurt the emotional impact of that like sequence at the end? No. If they bring him back. You don't think not so? Re- not, not, no, because nothing is really like that permanent. You'll forget about that emotional impact in another 48 hours. You I, know what I mean? Like I it's not. I agree with the idea that it does cheapen that part of it a little bit. And I think if I were watching it, like binging them, having never seen them years down the road, maybe. But like, yeah. so I get what people are saying with that. But like at the end of the day, 
It's a lot like something like pro wrestling, where it's like, yeah. well, that guy just lost that match a couple weeks ago. I'm like, yeah, but if you're popping back out here and he wins this one, it'll be fine. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? I think it'll be that kind of thing. People, yeah. if he comes back and he's back next season, people are going to be like, oh, I'm really enjoying this show last night. I'm like, oh, look at Hopper acting crazy. He's back, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I have to say, I missed... Outside of the letter, which I thought was a really beautiful sequence, like when he, he, she gives the nice. she reads the letter, I it was, it was really also well nice done. when she told Mike she loved him too. Yeah, it was, it was a nice really, moment. The whole ending was, was really that really had well some pretty good resolution to um, it. Mike, what a squid! They, uh, was I, there any bigger fall off from season one to last season? I thought that he was actually some good acting on his part because mm. he, he leaned into Yikes. like being the squib up until sort of the end when he got like I thought that they let him do a good job of being annoying and thinking that he was doing the right thing. Like a fourteen-year-old boy. Oh yeah, would all do. that stuff I mean? is fine. Like, but I, I, maybe I mean more the actor. I don't know. Just something he's better like, in it than he is. In Mike this. used to be. Yeah, Mike used to be like the central. Yeah. He was the main guy in the first season. Now he seems like side side. Stock guy. up on Lucas. Stock down on Mike. It's not for, even on Lucas. I think Lucas didn't really do much. I liked his Coca-Cola monologue. I think it was pretty. Funny. That was that was all right. You know what I, I mean? thought? Max was stock up. She's. She was good as a catalyst to make Eleven a more well-rounded character. I agree with that. Super well Her being a girlfriend yeah. thing I think was good. Um, and although I think it was... It's funny because there's some things you can make a complaint where it's like, well, this was a little too on the nose. But the whole point of this show is to be on the nose. Yeah. Like when somebody's like, oh, well, it was predictable. Well, it's supposed to be. Yeah, this show's not about Kids that, are predictable. You know what I mean? I like, do that. Not even that, but like this kind of storytelling isn't here so you'll be shocked by the twist. You yeah. know what I mean? They like, want you to watch the next episode, but they also this is, want This is supposed feeling. to feel comfortable. Yeah. You're supposed to kind of know where this is going. You're supposed to enjoy the ride. But what the point I was making is that, so while you can't criticize something for being too on the nose in this kind of show... I do think uh, some of the stuff felt a little bit patronizing in the way that they like girl powered up all the girls mm. in the middle, and not that they shouldn't have that stuff, and not that I'm mad they included it. I'm not one of these like angry whites on the internet being like, "Oh, rah, rah, it's all I got to be girls," but like it was a little bit too. It felt it felt patronizing. It felt yeah. a little bit too like, yeah, okay, guys, like we get it. You're doing this just Material so people girl. will yeah. talk. Of, no, not even. I mean, not even the music, but like specifically yeah. the way the storylines were. I'm like, you're trying to do this for woke points, and I can tell. The Duffer Brothers are very seemingly uber reactionary. I, well, I was yeah, I was gonna say yeah. I, that's something that's interesting about them is they seem to very much react to what people are saying online and write yeah. in a reactive way, like. All the stuff people were saying after season one, they went, they're like, okay, this. After season two, like, man, I love this Dustin and Steve thing. It's like, okay, you love Dustin and Steve? We'll jam them together for the whole season. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, all the just, oh, you all like, the Steve you can handle. Yeah. You like this? Here it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, this yeah. is what you want? Take it. Which is both a good and a bad thing. Uh, so I think, too, and before I get too far, I think the emotional impact that I was getting at about that whole sequence was a little bit lost on me because I never for a moment believed that Hopper was really dead. I just didn't buy it. They didn't show the body. They would have made a bigger deal. You and me are both very big proponents of if they don't show the body. That's usually that's a pretty good rule Pathos. In, in entertainment. Pathos. Like if you want to see emotionally, like look at like Avengers: Infinity War, right or uh, Endgame. You see Tony Stark die on screen. If they want, if they didn't show him die on screen and have that moment, would you believe that Tony, if he was just oh he was in a spaceship and it blew up? Uh, He's know. alive. He's yeah, not yeah. dead. Then you know what I mean yeah, like. Yeah. A, you have the Dark Knight to, Rises, same yeah. kind of thing. And then you're proven right at the end because like I had to see we didn't see exactly. You got to see the body. Got to see the body. Yeah, 100%. so he's fine. And I guess last one uh, should and is the fourth season of Stranger Things the final season? Should it be or is it? Uh, Probably should be. I don't know if they're going to be able to get those people forever. The only reason I say the only reason that I'll say um, I love I love five as a number. Yeah, I do. 
I like five seasons as a round number, but like that's my own personal insanity. Um, I think fair, that fair. I think that when it comes to the show, so you ready for Scream Five when that comes out? Oh, I think I think that that's entirely different thing. <laughs> Very disrespectful. Um, I think that. I think that they did a really good job of, because, like, right, that's the big catch, is all yeah. these are kids, and they're mm-hmm. going to grow, and then what do you do? And you end up with AJ freaking Soprano. Um, but I think that they did a really good job. I mean, because this, the whole crux of this third season was was about growing up and changing and the way, like, your life changes and the way that life goes on. You know, Hopper's whole letter and just the fact that, like, you know, I think they leaned into it. And in doing that, I think that they will be able to successfully continue to do that as these kids age, if they so choose. Yeah. Do I think two or three two or three years down the road, if they did final season five and they were all like, could they could drive? You know what I mean? Like they're like sixteen, seventeen, and they're more now they moved away, and like yeah. it's a whole thing. So who knows? But I think that they, I trust the people who are in charge of this vehicle and the actors mm-hmm. in this show. To convincingly portray a story relating to this thing once and for all, Demogorgon battle when they're yeah. seventeen and graduating high school, I buy that. Uh, I like Force Ghost Hopper coming back to help Eleven regain her powers. That's my prediction. She's going to be up against the Demogorgon, and the spirit of Hopper is going to come to her and be like, "Yikes!" Yeah, yikes. Yeah, there you go. A force Ghost though, I don't know. I, I mean, I see like, what you're saying. You know what I'm I, saying? I, Maybe I not in that at. direct. Not, he's not going to stand there like I a blue ghost the, behind I him. I thought they did a really good job with the emotional resonance of the scene where uh, Joyce, Winona Ryder, makes it out and she sees Will after like everything was done. Yeah. And she's hugging him and she sees Eleven coming out, confused, looking for Hopper, and they yeah. just make that eye contact and she's like, "I can't even come over and tell you, but you're looking at me and there's no way I can hide on my face." And like that all hits yeah. without anything being said. I thought that was all excellent. Yeah. He's gonna be back though, so he's gonna make it for dinner. I guess. That was the only. That was the other thing I was waiting for. <coughs> he was like, he was gonna show up to dinner. Oh, I knew fr- I wouldn't stand you up for dinner. Yeah, like you yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, thank you once again. Uh, oh, well, is that it? That's it. We're done. We're at the end. Fine. We've gone long. Yeah, uh, whatever. Well, what? Do you have any? You have to give it a grade no, or not anything? Really. I'm just. Not. Did you have a grade rating? I would give it a B plus. I liked it. Good grade. Did a great job. Yeah. B plus. A. Yeah. It's. I, any any reason you can find to like have some stuff to say is just nit, nitpicking for the sense of being a contrarian and because everybody thinks they need to have like an opposing take on anything. I think just true. generally they knocked it out of the park. Wonderful entertainment. It was exactly what it was supposed to be. You know yeah. what I mean? It's all you want it to be too. You know what I mean? You want something crazy and complex and like nuanced where you never know what's going to happen. Go watch Better Call Saul. I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? But like for this, they did wonderful. Stream uh, it. Synthwave. Uh, just real quick. I'm going on vacation this week. Uh, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I'll be on the wedding. I don't know what the show schedule looks like. I have an interview coming in tomorrow, so there, there will be a show. I don't exactly know what kind of show we're looking at. I got to see. What, It'll be great. We'll figure it out. It'll be but, good. We'll uh, do it. We'll just record it some weird time. Yeah. So we'll see. It's we'll be figure it out. It'll so. be the same show. You won't be able to tell the difference. Let me tell you about it. Uh, sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Uh, the tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. We will see you next week on the Uticast. I wonder if anybody listening to the show knows who Tony Shimani is. Nobody. Five. If you do, shout it out. You can have my spot on the show. <laughs>